Binge Movies, the revolutionary force in movie reviews. Coming to you from the last video store in the universe, it's Binge Movies, episode 130. I'm Jason. This is the show that ranks and reviews... No, what what did I say? (laughs) 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 Yeah, I got it. (laughs) This is the... uh, This is the show that ranks and eliminates movies to determine which ones are most worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. On this episode, we rank video game movies of the 2000s. I'm joined yet again by <laughs> Megan Kurds. Megan, at this point, I might as well just get a futon and you could just sleep here in Akron, Ohio. <laughs> Let's just... A pull-out couch, you know. <laughs> Leave your life in Boston and just come to Northeast Ohio. I mean, that's a tempting offer. <laughs> we we need good white liberal women here in Northeast Ohio. <laughs> Does anyone need more white liberal women? I don't think so. If you're coming to Northeast Ohio, you will be forced to wear mostly athleisure wear. Oh, I'm out. Made in sweatshops. No, I'm definitely out. Yeah. You have to have the latest iPhone with quartz mined from the deepest, darkest mines of child slavery. But you have to put on Instagram uh, whatever is politically pissing you off at the same time. Oh, that I can do. Of course, you're one of my favorite film critics, one of my favorite people Aww. to talk to. You came Thank highly you. recommended by the Lady Juan, uh, who is- Whom a, I a, love and adore. She's amazing. The whole internet loves and adores her, those that know her do. Rightfully so. Uh, it's hard not to, yes. Um, and, you know, you've you now you've been on, I don't know, I think you might be, <laughs> like, <laughs> in a short amount of time, I think you might have the second most amount of guest appearances on the show. Woohoo! I, that's awesome. I love yeah. it. I love coming here. So I'm <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's true because the only other guy who I think has been on more is Paul for the countdown. And that's just because he showed up on the show 
uh, like seven years ago when we first started. So, uh, so he's probably the, got the most, but you ha- I think you have to have the second most and it's all, all right. been in less than a year. <laughs> yeah. You are, I think the Steve Martin of binge movies. <gasps> I will take it. That is a huge compliment. I love yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if there's ever a time where there's any sort of podcast convention, uh, uh again, uh that you show up to i show up to uh I, I, for a long time i've wanted to do some kind of in-person live thing and Ooh. i think you'd be 100 percent the perfect guest panelist to be on that oh well thank you That's i don't know as a white as a fellow white i don't know <laughs> if you like N- npr as much as i do do you, do you know what npr is have you ever heard of npr i i think i've heard of it you know do you have an npr tote I don't. Oh, that surprises me. So, I do have a it, lot of tote bags, though. Wouldn't it be WBUR Boston? Is that the it NPR would. station you have? Yeah. Look at me. I'm impressed. You know, like the logo. so much public media comes out of Boston. It really does. Have you ever heard of a show called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? I have. Okay. I'd love to do a binge movie style. Wait, wait, don't tell me. That would be a mixture of uh, like a, a a one man show, which is you know deeply uncomfortable for the audience. But <laughs> ima- here's what I say: Imagine a Universal Studios ride. You ever been to Universal Studios, Florida? Or oh, Hollywood? of course yeah. I have. Yeah. Imagine okay. a Universal Studios queue experience, but that would lead you into a short monologue. Uh, <laughs> combined then into a live episode where Megan Kearns comes out from a curtain and sits down and we do a live episode with interactions with the audience talking about a movie. Wouldn't that be great? That sounds incredible. I love it. I want to create the weirdest uncomfortable experience for an audience in person. (laughs) And the thing is, I have enough listeners, Megan. I'm fortunate enough that we have enough listeners here at Binge Movies. I could do it. Here's the, here's the downside. Okay. Uh Oh, they are scattered across the entire planet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we we could sell out a theater, mm-hmm. but there's no chance that our listeners <laughs> would spend twenty thousand dollars to get in a plane to come to Akron, Ohio, or in all fairness, Boston, Mass, to watch binge movies live. It just would not happen. Yeah. No. <laughs> so we'd have to piggyback it off of a more successful something that is a bigger draw that would draw the types of people who listen to binge movies. And I don't know what that is, but that is kind of my secret wish list goal for the podcast. Mm, that's a good and I, one. And I want you to be a part of it if it ever happens. Ooh, I thank you. I'm in. I'm in. I wherever, cannot pay wherever. for your transportation. I will not be able to pay for your bills. <laughs> It'll be a money loser for everybody involved. Oh, I'm even but, more in then. <laughs> Now to my deepest nightmare. (laughs) Video game movies of the 2000s. Let me start off by saying this. We've already done the 90s with Matt F. Basler. And people people asked on Twitter, will Matt F. Basler be back for the 2000s? And I said, not a chance. Because (laughs) I knew that you had already agreed to it. That wasn't a derisive remark against Matt F. Basler. Who's a great guy, a funny guy. It's just like, you and I already that? had this. Yeah, you and I already had this booked, and uh, you know I want to keep it fresh. I want to mix it up. 
What's interesting is the 90s, since you weren't a part of that conversation, the 90s video game movies seem to be much more action-oriented. And there, mm-hmm. although, although there are a few action-oriented movies on this list, there tends to be, the early 2000s tends to be the decade of the horror or survival video game adaptation. So yes. the vast majority of these, and even the one that doesn't, the video game had no supernatural or horror elements. They just added it in anyways, <laughs> and we'll get to it. Um, why do you think by the time we get to the 2000s, they're adding all of this supernatural and horror stuff uh, to these franchises or adapted franchises that already have those elements in place? Oh my God, that's a million dollar question. That's such a good one. Um, I think, I mean, I think it has to do, as far as the adaptations go, the film adaptations, I think it has to do with what games were really successful. And Mm. those were the successful games, were the games that were survival, survival horror specifically, Resident Evil was huge, Tomb Raider was huge, these are blockbuster games, and... Yeah, I mean, Tomb Raider was always weird that it had supernatural elements to me because so much of it is not supernatural. But it's yeah, not super- right. But the supernatural elements are there right from the start. There's a dinosaur all of a sudden. Why? Who knows? And then there's there's winged monsters. Why? Who knows? So yeah, but I, I do think that it's because of that. But I also think partly it's because of the transition from the '90s, from those action-heavy genres, and there began to be much more of an infusion of storytelling and character development. And you saw that with RPGs in the 90s, but I think you're starting to see a lot more of it bleed into the 2000s. So I think that's more where you're focusing on aesthetics and eerie elements as well as Mm. really heartbreaking backstories of characters. Mm. This is a perfect time to put a pin and just let everybody know who's listening to this, that I stopped playing video games right after the PS1 era. Actually, I lost interest in video games when they put out the DualShock controller or the analog (laughs) sticks. Because I was like, I don't know how to do this. I was so bad. I'm still terrible at it. Of orienting the camera stick. I was like, I can't do this. It's gone beyond me. <laughs> and I was still a very young man, very nubile, I'll say, mm-hmm. at that time in my life. And I was just like, I, <laughs> I, you know, I, if there was a Lolita, I was Lolito. I was, <laughs> um, yeah, all the grown adult men in town were wanting to see what was up my skirt. And I, <laughs> and so I just lost interest in video games. But you are the bigger gamer between the two of us, which is another reason why you're here. Not only are you one of my favorite film critics, but you are a massive gamer uh, and have been forever. So so you probably have more experience with a lot of these games. We'll get into it when we break the movies down than I do, with the exception of probably like two of them, three of them maybe. Um, So if you feel free to reference games and so forth, I'm going to leave that to you. Uh, because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> fair enough. That is fair. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm looking at my watch. I think it's about that time. No pun intended. We're going to start with 2001's Laura Croft Tomb Raider, which currently has a 21 or actually, no, just a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> 
Have you ever heard of the Clock of Ages? On June 15th... Let us twist time! Time will stand still. The future is yours. The all-seeing eye. And the fate of mankind will rest in the hands of one. Ooh. Don't start. Angelina Jolie. Time to save the universe? Absolutely. Tomb Raider, June 15th, everywhere. Uh, Laura Croft Tomb Raider was directed by Simon West with a screenplay by Patrick Massett and John Zinman with a story by Sarah B. Cooper, Mike Webb, Michael Collery. It's an adaptation by Simon West. Why does this need to have so many different writers on it? I don't get it. It is based on Tomb Raider by Core Design. It is the triumphant return of Ian Glenn, last seen in Resident Evil, the final chapter. It was released June 15th, 2001 in the U.S., June 28th, 2001 in Germany, July 6th, 2001 in the UK, and October 6th, 2001 in Japan. On a budget of $115 million, it made $274.7 million worldwide. That, I believe, is going to be the last of the box office successes in this episode. Yes. Archaeologist and 90s teen dream races against a literal clock in order to stop the Illuminati. Yeah, that's correct. It's all yours, <laughs> Megan. All right. I love, I, first of all, I'm so excited that we're talking about video game movies because I love talking film, love talking video games. So I'm super pumped and excited. I'm also excited because Lara Croft is one of my absolute favorite video game protagonists. I am obsessed with the Tomb Raider series. I have played every single one of the Tomb Raider games, every single one, even the one for your phone. I have played that. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I love Tomb Raider so much. I can't get enough. So I saw this in the theater when it came out because I was so excited. I was pumped that we were getting a film adaptation and I thought this was delightful when I saw it in 2001 and you know what I have watched it multiple times after I still think this is a delightful film I think this film gets a very bad rap and I get why the writing is atrocious it's bad there's some really bad acting especially by Ian Glenn and Ian Glenn he gets so much better like when he's in Game of Thrones like what what is he doing here and Daniel Craig's really terrible American accent what's happening there it's so so bad yeah but the saving grace of this film is Angelina Jolie, whom, whom I will follow to the ends of the earth. I will watch her in anything because she is luminous and magnetic and an incredible actor. I love her. I cannot get enough of her. And she really captures the essence of Lara Croft in the original games. In the original games, she is extremely intelligent. She is having such a sly fun with everything she's doing. She's very acrobatic and she's doing things that a normal body can't do. Like she's kind Mm -hmm. of like a superhero and doing all of these backflips and all of these impossible leaps and everything. And the movie not only nods to that, but it captures a lot of that. And I love that. And I think Angelina Jolie is the perfect person to embody that role. And it's interesting because Looking at the behind the scenes and the making of this film, Simon West really had to fight for her. The studios wanted someone who was really well known. They wanted someone completely different. They thought she was too controversial because of her personal life and because she wasn't well known. And he was like, no, she's the right person. She's my number one choice. We need to cast her. And I think that that was absolutely 
the perfect decision because I think this film would be an utter train wreck if you don't have her. And I think that's the thing. And thinking about the legacy and the impact of the Tomb Raider games, and it's interesting. It's kind of a double-edged sword because the original games were so objectifying to the female body. And Toby Gard, who created Lara Croft, he talked about how her body is a caricature. It's a caricature of a feisty woman. And it's, yeah, okay, whatever, dude. But it's awful the way the camera really objectifies her body. And the camera here does it too, which is annoying. However, on the flip side, I th- what the reason I gravitated to the games and to the film is because it is, to me, it was so empowering to see not only a woman protagonist, a woman who was traveling all over the world, a woman who was, you know, rebuffing her societal duties you know she's supposed to be this late lady of the manor and in aristocracy and she wanted nothing to do with that she wanted to travel the world because she had survived a plane crash something that's not in the film but it is in the video game and I just love that and I love that she's doing all these things she's in this male-dominated space and she's like no I'm gonna do this I'm gonna travel and I'm gonna do all these cool things and I loved that and I love that the movie does that too and I just I just always have fun with this we have young listeners, Megan. They don't understand <laughs> what her personal controversies were at the time. Mm-hmm. This would be the era where she was in a relationship. Was she married to or just a relationship with Billy Bob Thornton? She was married to him. They were married. Okay. And this was round about the time that they had vials of each other's blood around their <laughs> neck, right? Yes, they did. Yes, they yeah. did. So that's the controversy you're referring to. Was there kind of very bizarre, very public relationship? Yeah, that's also that she liked knife play and would sleep with knives. Also that she kissed her brother in what some people oh, thought was a very that's romantic right. way. I didn't know yes. about the knife play thing, but yeah, yes. her brother who looks just like her. Yes. Uh, a lot like her. Yes, it's right. Yeah. They had a very, it was, it was. It was tab. It was a taboo kiss. It was. It was a sure. Yeah, yeah. It was an incestuous <laughs> style kiss. Yes. Uh, I mean. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I remember it now. It's like mm, that's not that's not brother sister. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a brother. I don't have a sister, so I don't know. But yeah, that didn't look like a normal brother sister no, kiss to no, me no, either. No. And that, that's not implying that there is yeah. an incestuous relationship. No, no, just, no, no, no. At, at this yeah. point in her life, she she had an element to her, whether yes, genuine or uh, not, or media creation or combination thereof, right. where she was a bit of a provocateur. Very yeah. much so. Yes, she liked yeah. to push buttons. She liked yes. to be very ostentatious. Yeah. Yes. Yes, she did. She's kind of retreated from a lot of that and just lives a very private life now. But she was also probably yes. what, in her 20s back yeah. then. So, you know, her mom was this supermodel, one of the most beautiful women ever. Her dad was yep. John Voight. You know, yep. she had a really uh, complicated, difficult childhood. Yeah. Uh, was arguably. Uh, and maybe still is arguably, but certainly at that time was was one of the most beautiful, exotic looking women on the planet. Uh, and what? Yeah, it was just I don't know. It'd be very hard to be her with all of the baggage that she was born into with her family <laughs> yeah. and then media expectations and then her looks and then the objectification. 
to not kind of go off the deep end a little bit and be a bit of a, a public weirdo. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and she's also Very like her dad's so. John Voigt, but her mom is like French. And, you know, so she's, she had a very eccentric life experience before she was famous, as I guess is right. my point. Right, right. And she has a very contentious relationship with her father, whom she doesn't yes. speak to now. She right. is a queer woman, which I don't yeah. know if she had come out at that time, but she certainly came out at least a little bit later. A little so, bit later, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, and it's interesting thinking about how her her persona is so much more tame now because, you know, she is a mother. She isn't, you know, not that she's an older woman, but she's older, much older yeah. and wiser, arguably. But yeah, but I still love that. I love that she was a provocateur and that she was very much an exhibitionist about herself and her life. And, and her brother. And her brother. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing yeah. wrong with that. <laughs> um, has there ever been an actor more physically suited for a role than Angelina Jolie as Laura Croft at this, at Laura, this version of Laura right. Croft? Because they've obviously physically changed. Yes. The way she looks. And I'm not just talking about obviously her breast size. Uh, I'm because, uh, you know, I'm talking about her face. I'm talking about yes. her facial structure. Yes. I this agree. woman was like, she was like, she was born physically yeah. to play Laura Croft. I don't know if Laura Croft was like partially designed after her or whatever. Or maybe it just so happens that these two characters, uh, well, character and real person, just happened to fit uh male beauty standard i don't know <laughs> but the, you know the eyes her eyes she's yeah. got these big almost cartoonish eyes just the natural shape of her eye and um yeah she just looked so when to me as somebody who was my entire experience of tomb raider up to this point was playing the demo disc the jam pack volume seven for the original playstation <laughs> which tomb raider 2 was on and playing through the cave level and drowning r routinely and yep. not being able to figure out the camera angle to be able to flip from rock to rock and just sort of being <laughs> frustrated by it. That was my entire experience of Tomb Raider. Um, although I think I have one of them now uh, for PS4. Uh, oh, so, then you have the reboot. Yeah, yeah, somewhere. I don't know. I have it. Okay, I think it's, well, you should play it because it's yeah. amazing. Just um, <laughs> Anyway, it was just it was when they announced that she was going to be Laura Croft. It made the most sense in the world, and also, again, this is going to sound ridiculous to people who've been raised in a much more three D video game environment. And this is going to sound pervy, but I was also a teenage boy when the first Tomb Raider games came out, mm -hmm. and even the the PS the PlayStation marketing. I mean, Laura Croft is arguably the first polygonal sex symbol yes yes yeah i think that that's something that i feel like if you weren't alive at that time period in the 90s yeah you, you don't, don't you don't get it i had a calendar of lara croft like yeah 12 month calendar and and there were so many advertising campaigns and there were pinup like magazine style shoots like oh a, so many different magazine covers right for, for, yeah 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 E I mean, IGN or whatever, yeah. all of them, yeah. Or yep. e EGM, yeah, Electronic Gaming Monthly, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, but IGN's she, too. <laughs> yeah, she was, yeah, she was yeah. 100%. Um, and, and again, it, it was, I think the attractiveness to her was, even though she, yeah, she was objectified and was a sex symbol or whatever, she was a badass. Yeah. She was always with the guns. Yep. She always had her two giant guns. She was always solving puzzles. Like exactly. you said, she was always presented intelligently within the video game. Mm -hmm. And that was like part of her appeal. It was like 
it, she was sexy Indiana Jones. She was James yes. Bond meets <laughs> yes. Indiana Jones, but also hot, right? Yes. And so as so it's bizarre because especially if you Google like the 1995, 1996 Laura Croft and you look at her design, she's all of these rough edges. <laughs> she looks like <laughs> she looks like she's cubist. She looks like yes, an expressionist painting. You're like, people were getting boners over this. <laughs> and it's yes, we were. Yes. It's hard to explain, but yes, we right. were. Because we had just come from sprite based video games where no matter how big or colorful or nice the sprites were. Uh, and ironically, I think that though that that game design holds up better than the early first gen polygon based video games, which is why I think mm -hmm. a lot of sprite stuff and a lot of those retro games have come back around. Yes. And there's not as much retro nostalgia replay value in some of the original PlayStation games. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's really hard to explain how. <clears throat> This sounds so silly. Realistic <laughs> Tomb Raider felt in right. comparison to what we were playing just a year or two earlier with Super Nintendo or Sega, mm -hmm. even Sega Saturn or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's really no. hard to contextualize that, but it makes total sense that they would want to adapt it into a film, right? 100%. Because it it's is a, it's cinematic. A Exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's a cinematic experience. Yeah. It was such, it was the, at that time, it was one of the most immersive games I had ever played. And the fact that you get to control the camera, like you said, that you had trouble yeah. with it. But oh, that yeah. was amazing. The fact that yeah. you got to decide where it was going to go because the only other game, well, I don't want to say the only other game, but one of the only other games that had such a huge impact at, on me at that time were the Resident Evil games. Mm. And those had set cameras. You didn't get to decide where the camera yeah. went. And so that was, so it's such a minor thing now, especially because it's it's so ubiquitous in video gaming. But yeah. it it was so powerful. It was powerful to see a three dimensional figure to ogle her body for right yes. or wrong, better yeah. or worse, and to move her the way you wanted, and to have her look at what you wanted. It just now we, it was. Let's great. get personal here, experience. Megan. Were you yes. ogling her body as much as teenage Jason was? <laughs> Because I never had the calendars. So. Yeah, I mean that should tell you something. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were so we were together in that experience. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I simultaneously wanted to be her and be with her. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Me too. <laughs> she was a badass, and I, again, she was a badass. It's so yes. she still is. Obviously, she's still around. But yes, it was, and also other than like Samus. Who yeah. was it? The, the twist was, oh, you've been playing as a female the whole time. Which Surprise! Yeah, which is brilliant. <laughs> um, she's like probably like the second, only the second, like lead female and protagonist right. in video game history. Right, especially right? At that, like at that time. Yeah. Yes, yes. Because now obviously there are many more. Who there are followed. many, many more. Yeah. But she was like the second one ever, and not to say right. that you couldn't play as female characters. No, but it was, it was a lot of video games, especially like shoot 'em ups or something. It would yep. be like you could pick between the guy or the girl. Right. But they were like co leads, and yes. not to take away from that, that's important too. But this mm -hmm. is different. This was even Resident Evil, right? It was yep. you could be the male or the female. I think. This was, no, you were either Samus or you were Laura Croft. Yes. They were the lead protagonist. You had no other options for their video games. And that was it. And Samus is in the the gear most of the right. time. Right, right. So you, it, I would say she doesn't, she's sort of more gender ambiguous in a way. I don't want, and I know that they've expanded that in some of the later games, but 
the, the era right before the first Tomb Raider, she was more gender neutral, I guess is what I'm right. saying. No, um, totally. And you're not going but, in playing knowing yep. you're having a woman character with the yep. marketing and everything like that in yep. the same way. Right. And not to take anything away from Metroid. Yeah. But right. It just was different. It just was. That's what was so exciting about those. Games. Exactly. Yeah. And so the idea of bringing that to the big screen makes it's all no the brainer. sense of the world. Here's the thing about this movie. <laughs> I think that we sometimes underestimate the intellectual and artistic skill required in the staging, direction, and performing of convincing action sequences. It is an art form unto itself. And where this movie falls apart is not in <laughs> Angelina Jolie. It's not in her acting. It's not in her willingness to do action sequences because so much of that wire work she's doing herself. Yes, it's she very is. obvious she's doing it herself. And she's always had a willingness to do big stunt sequences and action movies and genre work and all that sort of stuff. I think Simon West is the wrong guy to direct this movie because there's something about his direction (laughs) and there's something about the script that feels juvenile. And I understand that what they're trying to, they're, they're essentially trying to appeal to who they think is going to go see this movie, which is teenage boys. Yep. The problem was I was a teenage boy when I saw this in theaters and that this is not what I wanted. <laughs> and I will also say to, in the department of TMI, this may be one of the most erotic experiences I've ever had in a movie theater. Megan. Oh, hello. So anyway, um, that's my experience with this movie. Uh, wait, and also, wait, wait, wait. Does that, mean you have a, does that mean you have a grudge against this movie because you didn't get to kiss your Kelly Kapowski? <laughs> no, not really. It's just as I revisit it, I'm like, okay, well, there's Rimmer from Red Dwarf. It's just this weird thing because all of these things and these references from the 90s, both personal. It's like mm-hmm. very rarely did you see a guy who was on Red Dwarf who I was watching on PBS that's at like true. 11 o'clock in an American <laughs> film kind of american but then he there he is little do you have a movie where you have the the most where you blue balled yourself in the most what should have been the 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 peak of eroticism of your teenage life there's a lot going on for me psychologically with this film uh, and there's a I lot psychologically so. going on for Angelina Jolie. This this movie's a tangled web, and it's been weaved because she already had a fractured relationship with her father. And who do they decide to cast as her father in this movie? John Voight. Uh, Did they? Why? I don't know. Did they do that because they thought, well, we're going to elicit some real emotion out of her? Because we're going to bring in her real estranged father to play her father who she's been estranged with because he's dead or he went missing. Like, what? I remember there was kind of like an uproar about that at the time or there was like rumors about it. But I don't remember what they were. Do you? I do not. I think, I think my recollection is that he was cast without her knowledge. Hmm. And I think she like agreed to it because for a long time she was trying to have some kind of relationship yes. with him, if you remember. Yes, I do. And so I think she, this was at one of those times where she was like, okay, like maybe this will help us. Maybe we'll get to work together and that'll help us sort our relationship out. And then right. of course he is a weirdo. So it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, 
Another tangled web, like you said, is Daniel Craig slipping in and out of one of the worst American accents I've ever heard. If oh, yeah. You have Angelina Jolie doing a faux British accent. Why not just let him speak in his native voice? Why does he even what? have to be an American? Nobody else is American. Her butler is an American. Her tech guy is an American. Her robot is an American. He only speaks in techno music and prodigy. Uh, why couldn't they have just let Daniel Craig be Daniel Craig? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, no, I don't understand it either. Another thing doesn't make sense. I know I'm bagging on this movie that you love, but I got a lot of things that work out, (laughs) obviously. My own sexuality being first and foremost. Megan. Yes. Everyone knows Laura's dad, even though they say he went missing nearly two decades before. Yes. But everybody in this movie is in their 30s. (laughs) So did they all know him? Did Daniel Craig know him when he was nine years old? Yes. Did you catch that? Yes. It's like, oh, yeah, I knew your father. We were together. I was like, how the fuck did you work together? You're like 32. (laughs) He's been gone for 25 years. You worked together when you were seven? Were you the Doogie Howser of Tomb Raiding? (laughs) Where this movie really falls apart for me, though, is Laura uh, Croft is classic James Bond meets Indiana Jones meets, like, Pam Anderson. And (laughs) um, it was the 90s. And... What this movie ends up being is, and it makes sense for the time frame, but Simon West ends up making a much more Pierce Brosnan-era Bond film than he does a Spielbergian Indiana Jones film. And I would have liked to be a little bit more Indiana Jones, not necessarily going into the pulp novel stuff, because that was not really what Laura Croft was. I would have loved a little bit more of the adventure movie and a little bit less of the gadget and technology movie, because... Of what little I know of Tomb Raider, the gadgets and all this, it didn't. That doesn't seem to be really the heart of the story. It's more of her puzzle solving. And it, 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 you're right, it's there, but there, I don't know. There, there, there's something miscalibrated in the script and in the direction. I don't think he's a good action director. No. I don't think. I I think the action is very not. It's just not very well done. I think the movie is overly drawn out. It literally put me to sleep. I fell asleep watching the climax of the movie. I had to wake up and rewind it. It was the middle of the day. Um, I think it unfortunately is like it has this weird, again, Pierce Brosnan era Bond tone to it where it's like tongue in cheek in a way that doesn't always work. And I think actually kind of takes away from the story because you simultaneously want me to take the this cosmic scale Illuminati <laughs> clock that controls time. At one point she says, it's a time storm. Time oh. is broken here. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's I was a like, time storm. I was what like, oh, time, a time storm? storm. Like everybody should know what a time storm yeah. is. And there's no explanation. There's no exposition, no. nothing. They just move right on. I yeah. love that. That is the she, dumbest thing ever. And it's ridiculous. <laughs> she says it. You're right. So matter of factly as yes. if it's like, a, oh, like, oh, it's a traffic jam. Like it's just yes. something we've all experienced in our life. She's just like, ah, oh, it's a time storm. Time is yeah, broken you know, here. One of those. And then a dog jumps through it and then turns <laughs> yeah. into meat and then jumps through it and is and fine. I'm like, yeah, the, yes. that's it. That's yeah. it. And the worst part about this movie, the most egregious <laughs> part, is the third act just turns into a total CGI nightmare. It is just a big, <laughs> dumb CGI. They built practical sets, all this sort of stuff, but yeah. it just it goes, it just goes bonkers into stuff. 
the the little bit of the humor I did like, which I thought was a little bit creative and a little bit different, is I thought some of the little asides between the villain and his stooges were actually kind of funny. Just they were like funny, not funny, but kind of charming. When he was like, um, they had like a, basically an empty box, and he was like, you know, tell me everything's right on time. Everything's right on time. We'll have we'll be ready when you know at the right time. And then they walk out of there, and the stooge is like. We don't even have the clock, like, or whatever it is. You know, and, uh, but you told him everything. So you think we're going to be ready? He's like, nope, we're not going to be ready at all. And I thought that was like, it was sort of a subversion <laughs> of, you have Ian Glenn playing this, like, very stereotypical villain character. Yeah. That every time they cut away to when he's out of earshot of the Illuminati, it, he always says something that is the opposite of what you would expect him to say. <laughs> And I, and even down to the point where like the Illuminati guy is giving his big speech about like, finally, we will rule the world. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he just shoots him. And he's like, enough of that bullshit or whatever. Enough of the speeches. Yes. And I was just sort of like, okay, there's a little bit of cleverness there, a little bit of a subversion of expectations. The rest of the writing though, I think really stinks. I think it's got bad dialogue. Um, and it's like, despite a more than capable Jolie, the action falls flat. The plot is dumb. The characters are flimsy. The magic time traveling is a bridge <laughs> to nowhere interesting. The CGI Illumina Illuminati climax to me is horrendous. I oh, think the, the visuals movie are actually, ugly. Yeah, the visuals are ugly. They're not. And they were ugly at the time, I remember thinking. Yes. I remember thinking, this is not, doesn't look good. And it's, it's one of those movies that, like, as it continues to go along, and becomes more about its plot and its action because those are terrible. <laughs> it falls apart. Here, here, you know what this movie is? Like the first 10 minutes of this movie when she's doing the robot fight scene or whatever, it felt like a sizzle reel or a concept of if we were to adapt Tomb Raider, this is what it would look like. This is how we would do it. And that part is excellent. Yeah. When it has to transition from that into a full-fledged movie, it yeah. falls the fuck apart. So I give it a 4.5 out of 10. But it's my number two for the week. I know you love it. How about I you? I do. I do. <laughs> so uh, this is my number one film of the week. And oh, Jesus I Christ. give it a 7.0 because... <laughs> 7.0? Yeah, yeah, I stand by that. I stand by it because no matter how many times I watch it, I still enjoy this. And Angelina Jolie is that damn good despite all of the problems. And you're not wrong about any of the things you're saying. The visuals yeah. are ugly. The writing is abysmal it's awful it's terrible and it should have been much much better yeah however however like i said i always enjoy it and the fact that this granted it took a long 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 time much longer than it should have but the fact that this paved the way for so many other women-led action films the sad thing was is when this came out there were not that many women-led action films at the time and this really did open the door granted it took a much longer time for that all to come to fruition but because of that Lara Croft in the video games and here in this film have a very lasting legacy. And so for that reason, I rate this higher. I will say, though, I do agree with you. And my big, big problem with video game film adaptations is that too often the writers and filmmakers do not take video games seriously as an art form. Yeah, they should. But I don't care. I'm standing by my 7.0. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. Well, if you're going to give this one a 7.0, I can only imagine this next one's going to be a 10 out of 10. Oh. Of course, I'm talking about 2003's House of the Dead, which currently has a 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
Doesn't this bother any of you? The party's completely deserted. Is that you, Matt? On October 10th. There must be some kind of scientific explanation. It's not human. They're everywhere! The only way to make it back alive is to send them all back to the House of the Dead. I've been waiting for you. Rated R starts October 10th. House of the Dead was directed by Uwe Boll, making his triumphant debut on Binge Movies. Uwe Boll, the screenplay by Dave Parker and Mark Altman, with a story by Mark Altman and Dan Bates, based on the House of the Dead by Sega. It is the, this is an insane thing to say, it is the triumphant return of Jürgen Prochnow. <laughs> Jürgen Prochnow was known in his native land of being a legitimate serious actor and made a great many ger- like german german speaking like art house films yeah and if you look at his career predominantly in the united states he's in movies like wing commander and house of the dead <laughs> it's bizarre it is bizarre he's it's like you took an actor who would have been in ingmar bergman film and then you're like, you got him to America, and you're like, you're gonna be in Cheech and Chong. You're gonna be, <laughs> you're gonna be in Up and Smoke Seven. You're gonna be, you're gonna, be, you're gonna be in the straight to video Christmas Vacation, Uncle Randy's Hollywood <laughs> Pedophile Island movie, and oh. like that's like the career that this guy had in America. Isn't it bizarre? Yeah, it's it's yes, it's bizarre to see. The actor who is great in Das Boot in das House Boot. of the Dead. <laughs> like, what das is happening? Boot in House of the Dead. And by the way, he yeah. stinks in this movie. He's <laughs> terrible. Oh, he's all, everybody is terrible. <laughs> Nobody gets out unscathed in this. No, yeah, well, he's the only name you have ever heard of. Uh, but anyway, this film was released February 15th, 2003. Listen to this. February 15th, 2003, in San Francisco, okay? Not a anywhere in particular, not a film festival, not a particular theater, just they showed it in San Francisco as the premiere. <laughs> it wasn't released wide in the United States until October 10th, 2003, which means they showed this and then just sat it on the shelf. And I think that their thinking was, we're going to put it out before Halloween, and, and we'll trick all these horror fans into coming and seeing it because we know that this is a piece of junk. On a budget of $12 million, Megan, where did that money go? There's Actually, with that one scene. There's one scene, they blew all the money on that one scene. I guess, but I don't even think they spent a lot of money on that scene. Oh, we'll get to it. They made a box office haul of $13.8 million, which is whatever. <laughs> This is less of a synopsis for the film and more of a synopsis of the, my review. So I'm doing this ass backwards, but here it is. <laughs> it's as if a zombie porno were directed by a can of Surge. Yeah. Yeah. This is Uwe Boll's thir- first theatrically released film. It's one of only a few that have been theatrically released. <laughs> this is a game I have experience with because this was a huge arcade game. And I think it got yes. ported to the Saturn and stuff like that. But it was a huge arcade game. You couldn't go to any arcade. And I, I'm old enough to remember actual arcades, Aladdin's Castle and the mall. 
And most movie theaters had little arcades attached or at least yes. a row of arcade cabinets. And House of the Dead was at every single one of them. And if you've ever been to a Dave and Buster's, it's House of the Dead is still there. And it's still the same one from the 90s, usually. <laughs> this was an arcade rail shooter where literally you didn't really... You talked about having control over, over the camera, Megan, and this, you didn't really have any control over anything. You no. basically just planted your feet, you had your light gun, and then you just sort of shifted around. It was almost like a um, like a carnival funhouse ride, but instead it was, you're moving through the levels and there's zombies, and it's it's, it's actually a, a kind of a, a video game format that I think only really exists now for like VR games that still do kind yep. of the real sort of stuff. Um, My dad hated film criticism oh he really didn't like he, he like one of the few shows that he he didn't like me watching beavis and butthead although he liked watching it <laughs> he didn't like me watching ren and stimpy although he liked watching it hmm. he actually was watching ren and stimpy before i even knew it existed because it originally briefly aired on mtv before it got picked up by nickelodeon so yeah. he would watch it off of mtv late at night when it aired and he thought it was hilarious and he was horrified that showed up on Nickelodeon because he was like, this is <laughs> not appropriate for kids. And my dad was not a prude at all. I mean, he showed me Nightmare on Elm Street when I was three years old. So there was just certain things he was worried about. Another one was uh, You Can't Do That on Television. Oh, great show. you remember show. that show? I do. Yes, I love great that. show, but he was like, this is sadistic and this isn't made for kids. <laughs> and I own the first couple of seasons of it now and going back and watching nice. it, I probably would have made the same decision. I'm like, uh, child firing squads, uh, not good. Not good. Yeah. And there's some very dark humor in that show, which is literally why the show is called You Can't Do That on Television. Because um, when he pit the creator, when he pitched the idea to Canadian TV, their response was, you can't do that on television to all of his <laughs> ideas. So... Uh, and he didn't like Siskel and Ebert. He would turn that off. He didn't like oh. pro wrestling. He would turn that off. So you're starting to notice a trend here for my personality. I, like everything <laughs> you like, he would turn yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't like mystery science theater 3000. He didn't like huh. riffing on movies because he was like, you know how hard it is to make a movie. He's not wrong. He is. And right. just to sit there is like, nobody sets out to make a bad movie. And just to sit there and make fun of the movie he thought it was obnoxious. That's the term he says, obnoxious. It's so much, his whole point of view is it's so much easier to sit back and make fun of something than it is to try to make something. Yeah, he's... There's he's, one yeah, exception. That's right. Oh, <laughs> this film? <laughs> he rented this movie, and my dad and I, Mystery Science Theater 3000, not on purpose. <laughs> it's just, he watched every type of movie and brought them all home, and this was one that he brought home, and we watched it, and we roasted the shit out of this movie <laughs> together. It's the one time that has ever happened in my life. And we made each other laugh so hard. He never did that for any movie. None of the subspecies <laughs> series from Full Moon. None of them. Which are very weird <laughs> Romanian vampire erotic films. Uh, do you, have you seen the subspecies series? No. no I am going to seek it out now. <laughs> I'm going to need you to Google subspecies. Okay vampire movies and just look at that vampire and then tell me what you think <laughs> um he saw them all we sat through every puppet master we sat through every uh 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 doll man we sat through every trancers you know there were, if a, charles band had his name on a movie he, he, he was as good as spielberg in our household <laughs> my my dad never mocked any of them 
This is the only movie he's ever mocked. And here's what I'll say. The first 10 seconds of this film is some of the worst filmmaking I have ever seen. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Just the first 10 seconds yes. is some of the worst filmmaking I've ever seen. Yes. Yes. I could not agree more. The first two minutes into this film, I said, well, that's it. This is the worst film I've ever seen for binge movies. <laughs> so this is worse than Weirdsville or Exchange, oh, yeah. the Alan Moyle oh, films? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because on the last episode you appeared on, you said, these are the two worst movies I've ever yes. seen in my life. Yes. So this, now you're this, saying this is the yes. worst movie you've ever seen in your life. Yes. Yes. Well, we're going to have to watch the subspecies <laughs> series. <laughs> when Clint Howard shows up in a movie that uh, isn't directed he, by Ron Howard. You know, you know it's know, a disaster. You know, yeah, you know <laughs> what you're in for. I'm not exaggerating. Okay, I have not seen this since 2003. I fire this son of a bitch up. This has the production <laughs> level of a porno. Yeah, yeah. Why would Sega allow this? I know by this point, they're basically the Dreamcast flop, which it shouldn't have. <laughs> and Dreamcast was an amazing system way ahead of its time. It had internet connectivity. But this is early into the decline of Sega. Because the Dreamcast came out in 99, 99-99. So I guess we're four years removed. So I guess it's not that early. Why are they licensing House of the Dead? <laughs> Arguably one of their most successful arcade games ever. Because they were primarily, especially in Japan, an arcade-based company. Mm -hmm. um, why are they licensing to make this movie? I don't know. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? If I were saying, do they just need the money that bad where they're like, hey, we're struggling. We just got to keep the lights on. Like if I'm a somebody at Sega and I get the dailies back from Uwe Boll's movie. And this is what it is where it looks like <laughs> legitimate pornography. Yeah. It looks not like good porn. Not good not porn. Not good porn. No. No. It looks like <laughs> pornography. Yeah. I would have just, I would have Stan lead the shit out of this movie. And oh, it would yeah. never have been released. This is going no, into a salt no. mine somewhere. And no one ever, it's never going to see right. the light of day. Right? Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm shocked at what I saw. Shocked. Just, Let me ask you this. Yeah. I got a series yes. of questions and I hope you have the answers. Uh-oh. <laughs> Why would these kids pay? They missed the boat to the rave. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, well, we're going to pay Jurgen Prochnow and Clint Howard, who are, I guess, drug runners in <laughs> Vancouver. I don't know. Like, they're like smug. They're pirates and they're like smugglers. But it's very clearly this is like British Columbia. And they like just I think they say at one point <laughs> that they're in British Columbia. So where is he? T this Okay. The whole movie, <laughs> including the monster, is set up as if this is happening in the Caribbean. Right. Right. Because he's, yeah. like, off of a Spanish ship, and he's, like, a Spanish right. witch doctor from Spain who gets, like, killed for being during the Inquisition for witchcraft and all this sort of stuff. And it's everything about it. And maybe the original story did take place in the, in the Caribbean. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> but everything about the story screams Caribbean, up to and including the zombies. True zombies, right? Mind-controlled, whatever, whatever. And yet... They very clearly are filming this in the coldest part of like 
British, like <laughs> fall in Canada. Yes. And they flat out say, so like the, the fact that they're like rum runners, but they're in Canada makes no sense. The fact no. that this is like some sort of like Spanish plantation house they end up going into, but it's on the British Isles of Vancouver or something. None of this makes any sense. And these kids are like, we missed this rave. We're going to pay these drug runners in British Columbia two grand to take us to this island. Why would these kids pay so much to go to such a sparsely populated rave in British Columbia? At one point, they're like, this is supposed to be the rave of the decade. We got to be there. And there's a total of 25 people (laughs) dancing in front of a very empty stage with a Sega banner (laughs) that looks like it came from Kinko's. Is this a, like, I know it's like an in-joke or Easter egg, so I am to believe that Sega is sponsoring this <laughs> fuck party on this island in Van- British Columbia where everybody's doing ecstasy and doing cake stands? <laughs> Why is Sega sponsoring this event? What is it for? It's very fire festival. I don't know what's happening. It is. It's fire festival. Is this, They're like, oh, it's the coolest party of the summer. And I was like, it's the coldest party of the summer. The nipples on every woman who goes topless are so rock hard because you can see their breath. You can see their breath. And they have a woman's skinny dip. And that guy's like, it's too cold. I'm not going in. Yeah. Even in the, the character's like, oh, I'm not getting that water. It's too cold. Right? Why did you film it here? This is supposed to be, it's very clear that the script or the original idea, and again, maybe it's from the video game, was because I don't remember off the top of my head. This is supposed to be happening like in Trinidad or the Dominican Republic or Barbados. It's very clear, right? A beach party and, <laughs> and you know, we're in the sh- shadow. We're on, I think they even call it Isla de la Morte. Yeah. yeah if it's do. Isla de la Morte, why is it in Canada? <laughs> why is it in British Columbia? It's, it's obvious it's because it was cheaper to shoot there. Change uh, yes, your yes. fucking script. Change the fucking <laughs> script. As far as I know, the Spanish Empire never fucking settled in Canada. <laughs> Just make them French. Control alt delete or control alt replace. France or something. What the fuck? Don't sit here and don't tell this Caribbean zombie story in the dead of winter in Canada. And the, the guy has you. Know, I'm not getting out of water. It's too fucking cold. And then we watch this girl who you just can tell is so physically uncomfortable being nude and ice cold water on the screen. It's supposed to be so sexy, and it's a Jaws uh, homage, which is almost clever it's almost clever it's the closest as clever as it gets because you're convinced you're convinced because like oh he's ripping off jaws that something's because it's the same thing the guy passes out drunk on the beach and the girl's in the water and and we see really one of the most piss poor uh attempts at doing the jaw shot from like looking up at the naked body but she she kept her underwear on which tells you everything you need to know she's like i'm not showing it's probably too cold honestly and then she gets out of the water and the guy's missing. It's it's like a reversal on your expectations. 
Then these characters, by the time these characters eventually do show up to this fucking island in British Columbia, the entire party is toppled. The one or two little, like, tents they have set up are completely in shambles. There's bloody clothes everywhere. Blood-soaked <laughs> clothes strewn everywhere. One of the female characters picks up a blood-saturated shirt, and she goes, I think something bad happened here. <laughs> then she puts it all down, and they go, oh, no. They're probably all, they're probably all just off, like, fucking or something. <laughs> and he's like, all I know is the kegs are full. And then they're like, yeah, fuck yeah. They all start drinking. And it's like, you're supposed to be at the rave of the century or whatever, the decade, whatever they say it is. It's supposed to be the biggest party of the year. You get there on the island of the dead in Canada. <laughs> and everybody has clearly been murdered and their corpses are missing. And they still decide they want to try to party. And they're, act they're acting as if they're arriving to a, they got there early. They're acting as if, hey, we got here. I guess we beat everybody here. Might as well start partying now. But everybody's clearly dead. Everything is in shambles. Things are on fire. There's smoke. And they, they don't react like a real person would at all. No, it's no. bizarre. They're, this movie is so stupid. They have a character called MacGyvers. And I think it's just a MacGyver joke. Probably. Captain uh, uh, Casper, I think is her name, who's one of the worst actresses I've ever seen in my life. And that includes the lady from Firestarter. Whoa. Captain <laughs> Casper arrives in the bushes, <laughs> does not announce herself, and just fires a shotgun into the chest of the woman called Sin, which is just like, okay, whatever. And, and then blows her brains out in front of all of her friends who are just standing there <laughs> because she's been zombified. And one of the, and, and, uh, one of the friends, or, or uh, she, Captain Casper goes, what was that thing? Which means she shot a woman in the chest with a shotgun and blew her brains out, not knowing she was a zombie. <laughs> just randomly killed a woman from, a, from the bushes, right? Yep. And then one of the girls goes, that was our friend. And she just goes, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they, nobody sheds a tear over this woman. Absolutely no. no one reacts, including her boyfriend, who also puked all over her and wears dad jeans. And <laughs> he's supposed to be like a, or like a rich guy or something like that. But he, he's straight up dressed like, a mall walker. He's dressed like an elderly man who walks at the malls. He's in just generic new balances. It's so bizarre. There's no attempt of, for any actor to portray an actual person or even, they're not even portraying like an alien who has only observed Earth life from deep space. And this is the second movie because Tomb Raider did the exact same thing, Megan. I don't know if you noticed this. They both use the there's an iMac stinger sound that comes with garage bands. It's like, doo doo doo. They both use them and they're straight off of Mac's like audio library. It's bizarre. <laughs> this is the second one in a row that did that. 
The guy in the dad jeans, I know I'm ranting, but I got to get this <laughs> off my chest. This is 20 years in the making. Dad jeans climbs out of a porta potty that's been tipped over, <laughs> covered in shit, human shit. He spends the entire rest of the film in shit stained clothes for no reason. <laughs> and nobody, after the initial thing, responds by saying he stinks or he smells or anything. He's just, for the rest of the time, there's just a character covered in human shit. And it has no bearing on anything. And then this film has arguably the very laziest and longest bullet time sequence in the history of film. It's so long, I think they play one song twice and then they have to play a third song. <laughs> they play two, or a second song. They play two songs all the way through and they repeat one at least once. Because it goes on that long. It is a, if it, it's gotta be what, a seven minute, eight minute bullet time sequence? It just goes on and on yeah. and on. And their version of it is not to have the characters do anything interesting. It's nope. to have people just stand very clearly in the middle of an open field and just pan a camera around them again and again and again. It's so lazy that I actually replicated this exact effect like two years prior in the garage of Jake Thomas. And I had more action uh, former guest Jake Thomas in my sequence that we, he and I did together because ours was the guy there was we were doing a buddy cop movie we had a gun and I was the I was the uh, I was the Mel Gibson I was the Riggs of the I was the crazy devil may care one uh, which makes sense and he throws me like a nine millimeter and then we bullet timed it and then I catch it and then it bullet times around me firing the gun okay mm-hmm Louis Ball couldn't even be bothered to do that. He just yeah. has every single character, one at a time, just stand there <laughs> as the camera pans, pans around them. There's only one halfway interesting thing that he does with it, which is he has a zombie jump off of a trampoline <laughs> and, like, fly <laughs> through the air. And then he has, I think it's a zombie with an axe, right? And the zombie does, like, a tumble in the air and then throws an axe. Yes. And then the a woman jumps up in midair and then, like, fires her shotgun. And then for, you see the buckshot go, like, past the axe and kill the zombie. It's all done in bullet time. In retrospect, that's all he needed to do. He could have done a very quick bullet yep. time sequence and just done that shot. And he would have walked away thinking, well, that's something. That's heads and tails above the rest <laughs> of this movie. Because it's at the end of an eight-minute bullet time sequence. You're just so <laughs> bored. You want it to end. Put me out of my misery. When that ends, then he decides he wants to make a movie about characters, which is bizarre. And we have the Rudy character who gives this Tommy Wiseau level um, monologue about like how they've lost everyone they've ever loved, all this sort of stuff. And then they just suddenly start making out. That's how the thing is. Remember? He's like, oh my God, all of our friends are dead. I've lost everything. And then she just like grabs him and they start making out. And it very yeah. awkwardly. Yeah. And then cut to them finding the old timey book. She's like, oh, this is an ancient book. Maybe it'll tell us. And it's clearly a blank. <laughs> I don't know if you notice that the pages are empty. 
She's like, maybe we'll find the answers in this book, which uh, they're in a, why would you believe this one random book would have the answers as to why there's zombies on this British Columbia Island? I have no idea. But then the pages are just blank. They're just blank. They couldn't even be bothered to get a prop book. No. And then the big twist of this thing is, well, this isn't actually House of the Dead. This is the prequel to House of the Dead. Ooh, <laughs> this is how House of the Dead starts. And my final thought, and I will end my rant. <laughs> Uwe Bull makes Paul W.S. Anderson look like Cecil B. DeMille. I refer to Paul W.S. Anderson as the unthinking man's Michael Bay. Ouch. And Uwe Bull is the lobotomized Paul W.S. Anderson. This man does not have a prefrontal cortex. No. Somebody drilled a hole in his head and poured boiling hot water in it. This man doesn't. This man is the worst director of all time. He makes oh, Ed yeah. Wood. He's worse than Ed Wood because he is cynical and he mm -hmm. is arrogant and he he truly believes that he is like a master filmmaker. And if anytime you see him interviewed as to why do you make these terrible video game adaptations, he has no respect whatsoever for the video game movies. They're just cash cows to him. He can make them relatively cheap, get his percentage, and walk away. And he 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 does not, you know, this is the guy who fucking boxed film critics because he didn't like them painting his movie. Yep. Which takes any sort of joy or delight out of it. You can watch a Tommy Wiseau film, and it's like, or a movie that's so bad it's good because there's an earnestness to it. And there's right. not to his films. There's a cynical yeah. callousness and he's shit. It's yeah. both. He he's he's cynical and he's shit. And I hate this movie. I am nominated <laughs> for the anti-vault. It's a zero out of ten. It's the worst of the week. I mean, I don't have really any much <laughs> I don't have much more to add. You basically ran with any any thought I had about this film and certainly spent a lot more time thinking about it. <laughs> certainly had a lot more articulate things to say. Yeah, this is by far the worst movie I've ever seen because for the exact reason you just said, it is so clear that he does not respect video games. He does not respect film. No. Like, this is, I like, I know we keep joking about how this is like porn. I have seen homemade yes. porn that is made with better shots and more yes. integrity yes. and more energy than this yes. film. <laughs> energy. <All of> <laughs> yeah. This film is the shittiest shit. It is so terrible. It and I uh, listen. I despise 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 gratuitous nudity nudity just for the sake of it just to objectify women's bodies and that's all that's happening here and it just pissed me off and it's lazy and yeah. it's cheap and this film's ugly and what is with all of the we're so lazy in filmmaking we're just gonna insert some video game footage like what the fuck like it is just this movie is just garbage it is so bad so i also gave it a zero out of ten and i will never be watching this again ever 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 and i just want to say yeah i used to i used to have a group of friends where we would watch really bad movies for fun yeah. Yeah. and delight in their ridiculousness but yes those films had some kind of intentionality to be silly or fun or something and this yeah. is just devoid of all of that the best way to watch this movie is to 
take this film. You couldn't do it, obviously, because of the, the rights issues. But and Uwe Boll is very litigious. But to get all of the film snobs of film Twitter into one place at one time for a film festival <laughs> and have a secret screening oh. and have them think that they're going to get a new Soderbergh film or a new Alex Garland film or a new, <laughs> you know, whatever, whoever, who, you know, whoever, Greta Gerwig, we're going to show you the latest Greta Gerwig film. Barbie. And, yeah. And then you just <laughs> fire up. I guess it would be Barbie. Yeah. It would but be Barbie. whatever, some indie darling. <laughs> yes. And you say, we're, this is one of the most prolific indie directors. Cause he is an indie director of all time. And we are going to show you, you know, one of their great one of the great films and you'd have to introduce it because people think you're a real film critic because you are and then <laughs> what, I, what i'm saying is the only way this would work is if you showed people this movie in a prank context and yeah. you could laugh at their reactions yes this is a movie that you show to people as a prank <laughs> <laughs> and the movie thinks it's so clever when it has this one scene because it was a rail shooter where they're on rails they're in a mine and they're on rails shooting zombies or coming out of the corner mm-hmm. and it's like it's so bad it's so <laughs> bad it's just so bad it's this guy has no business directing movies no. none no so have you seen any other Uwe Boll films, or is this your first uh, 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 experience of Uwe? I had seen, I've seen parts of Blood Rain, but this was my first experience. First full Dr. Boll experience. Yeah. He does refer yes. to himself as Dr. Uwe Boll. Did you know that? No, I didn't. And, uh, wow, that explains a lot. Have you seen Jungle Cruise? I have. Remember Jesse Plemons in Jungle Cruise? As the Nazi in the submarine. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he has got a cartoonish German accent. Yes. That's Uwe Boll's real accent. <laughs> if you ever seen him interviewed, it's as if an American is doing a cartoonish German villain character. But that's how he really talks. And I think he is, he is a villain in filmmaking. <laughs> If there's ever been a director who his work is villainous, it's him. Because he's taking money and properties that could have been adapted properly. And right. he's doing as low quality of an effort as possible just to ensure he gets his money. Yeah. Which is why there's, there's so little joy in it. So the only joy you can find is if you subjugated others sadomasochistically <laughs> with this film, you know? And torture them. Yeah, you know when they showed Cronenberg at Cannes or whatever, a couple yep. different Cronenberg, people puked in the aisles and then yep. booed and walked out. I think I, I think I could up that. Let's take this, me and you, let's get this film back yeah. at Cannes. Let's debut this son of a bitch at Cannes next year. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Yeah, I'm like, no, 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 you just missed the genius. There's so much here to unpack, folks. Oh, Where are yeah. you going, everybody? Where are you going? Come back. Come yeah, back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fucking, uh, uh, who, who's, a, who's a world famous film critic? Uh, I don't know him anymore. All the ones I know are dead. <laughs> who's a popular film critic right now? Are there any more? Does anybody? Yes, of course. I just. Well, pick... you, I. <laughs> Pick your favorite film critic who people would know 
And then imagine them puking in the aisles of Cannes because we were making them watch House of the Dead. <laughs> that would be an enjoyable experience. That's the only chance I have. I went. I want whoever writes uh, for the Rolling Stone magazine or Vulture now or AV Club or whatever to just puke in the, in the aisles of Cannes because we made them watch the Uwe Bull's House of the Dead. I can't think because Uwe Bull's infected my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anyone. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine all of them. Imagine poor Leonard Malton oh. trying to get out of the getting oh. out of the back of the theater as fast as he could. <laughs> we've we've barred the doors like demons. You ever seen demons? Oh. Demone? No. The Italian horror film where they show the horror movie. <laughs> And the demons infect the theater. You ever, you've never seen no. that? No. Why have I not seen that? Oh, <laughs> yeah. What the hell? That surprises me. Because you, you've seen all that weird shit. I do. Like I want to do that. But instead of whatever the movie is in Demons, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's. I think it's a, a Dario Argento film. I think. Oh, I'm Argento pretty sure. Great. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Let me look this up right now. I was like, demons, are you leading me astray? 1985. <laughs> Uh, it might not be Argento. He might have produced it. No, it's uh, Lamberto Baba. Uh, oh, not yeah. Mario Baba. Lamberto. Not Mario Baba. The ah, other Baba. It's Lamberto Baba. Baba. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, that's what I want. I wanted. I wanted Lamberto <laughs> Baba, the Cannes Film Festival, but instead of showing a, a demon possessed movie, it's House of the Dead, <laughs> which is the real world equivalent. Oh my god, it's so bad. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I think it's time to move on. To our <laughs> no, what was your score? You gave it a zero and it's worse of the week for zero. you. I gave it a zero. It's the worst of the week. Hands down. Do you it's think the we should not my life? So we should you're in agreement we should nominate this for the anti vault then? Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. Without question. All right, we'll put a poll up on for our patrons and we'll say, Hey, you want to put this in the anti vault? Somebody remind <laughs> me when this episode comes out. <laughs> Okay, it's time to move on to 2005's Doom, which currently has a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I say to you, my brothers and sisters, hell is a deep, dark, foul-smelling prison of the damned. Hell with fire and brimstone, lost souls and demons. And how do you escape this eternal damnation? You blast the nasty demons. For the 64-bit Jaguar, the best doom ever. Doom was directed by, I have no idea, there's too many consonants and too many vowels in this name. No clue. Sorry, sir. With a screenplay by <laughs> David <laughs> Callahan and Wesley Strick, the story by David Callahan. It's based on Doom by id Software. It is the triumphant return of Carl Urban, last seen in Dread. It is yeah. the triumphant return of Rosamund Pike, last seen in At the World, the World's End. It's the triumphant return of Richard Brake, last seen in Thor 2. The Dark Angels, or whatever it's called, Dark Elves. What's it called? Dark, Dark World? World? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I like the Dark Elves. <laughs> That's very D and D. I think they're the aren't they the villains? Aren't Dark Elves the villains though in Dark World? 
Uh, they might be. It yeah. works. Actually, I yeah. think they are. <laughs> yeah, it works. It was released October 17th, 2005 in L.A., October 21st, 2005 in the U.S., October 27th, 2005 in Germany, November 3rd, 2005 in the Czech Republic, and December 2nd, 2005 in the U.K. On a budget of between 60 and $70 million, it only made $58.7 million. Scientists fuck around with Martian chromosomes and find out. <laughs> Before I kick it over to you, Megan, um, yes. we got to do something here. I think this is the triumphant debut of the of Rock? Dwayne the Rock Johnson. If you smell what the Rock is cooking. Whoa! I don't think we've ever talked about him on the podcast before. <gasps> That's exciting. It is exciting. So we have to break this down beef scale wise. Megan, let's objectify Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's not in his full blown 2022 man ape steroid glory that we know him for now. He's not hawking tequila or mezcal or energy drinks. This is when he was kind of trying to break away. He was a lot slimmer. He was trying to do some real movies. Oh, this isn't one of them. As far as beefiness goes, on a scale of one to ten beefs, how beefy is The Rock in this film? With ten being the best, right? Yeah, ten is I'm gonna assume. a sizzling, okay. dripping, uh, grease fire of beef. I don't know. A seven? Six and a half? I don't know. Ooh, really only six and a half at a He's not doing beefs? it for me. No, he's not doing it for me because I like older Dwayne Johnson, first Ooh, of all. You like crow's yeah. feet. You like a little crow's feet on your rock. Yeah, yeah. Give, give me some old man look. Uh, if yeah. he grew a beard and wore geek chic glasses, it would just be done. I'd be done. Oh! Um, yeah. Um, so for me, actually, Carl Urban is and Rosamund Pike, both of them are the hotter. <laughs> They're the Carl beefy Urban. ones here. Okay, here's yeah, the thing. Carl Urban yeah. looks like a completely different person here in this movie, though. He I doesn't know. look like Carl I Urban. Know. It's weird. No. I would say The Rock looks like a completely different species, though. He looks like he's from a different planet. The Rock looks yes. human in this movie. He does. He does. He's not but a he mountain much of longer. a man anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's not a mountain of a man anymore. Um, I will say this about The Rock. Uh, I'm going to give him... I'm going to give him, I think, a six out of the beef scale. I, you know, oh. To me, Prime Rock is not uh, The Rock of Hollywood. Prime Rock is The Rock. Oh, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? Can you, yeah, if you smell what The Rock is cooking, 1998, 1999, $5,000 Versace shirts, loafers, when he still had hair. No, And he no. had the long sideburns. Remember, oh, the, he had are, these sideburns? Yes, those are terrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. And the sunglasses. <laughs> so and the terrible. That is The Rock. That's The Rock for me. <laughs> that was peak rock. The night you won King of the Ring, you got down on your knees, put your little hands together, and you said a prayer, and it sounded like this. Oh, dear God. You see, my name's Billy, and I just won King of the Ring, but there's one problem. Everybody still thinks that I absolutely suck. And then at that point, Billy, your house started to shake, the heavens opened up, and God himself spoke to you and said this. 
Bob? But my name's Billy. It doesn't matter what your name is. He was he he, he was never more <laughs> captivating. He to me he was never more beefy. It's been all downhill since then uh, for Dwayne. I don't give a fuck about Dwayne Johnson, but I give all fucks for The Rock. And here he's more Dwayne Johnson than he is Rock. So I give him a six out of ten of the beef scale. What a great beef disappointment this man was in this film. Not just because of his body, which I found to be disgustingly lean. Uh, I also uh, his acting. I think this is the, he's actively oh. terrible in this movie. He is and this has got to be his all-time worst performance. Uh, ooh, I don't know. I think in The Mummy, he's pretty terrible. I think the Scorpion oh, King. Oh, yeah. He's mostly CGI. That, yeah, that, that was his yeah. first. That was his first thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. I'm just saying, I think, I think he's worse than that. But yeah, no. This is a close is, second then. He's bad in this. But what's so interesting is that he chose the role of Sarge, that they wanted him for the role of John Reaper. And he was like, nope, nope, I want Sarge. It's a much more interesting role to me. And so he chose that role. Yeah, and yet he, he's still terrible. He did. Uh, oh, boy. Okay. This is, I'm going to kick out for you <laughs> because I got some things to say about Doom. So let's, let's, uh, Megan, you, you lead the charge here. Oh, I'm leading the charge? Yeah. Okay. Is Carl, okay, let me let me start with a question for you then. Yes. Is Carl Urban supposed to be Doom Guy? Who the fuck yes. is who who is Reaper? He is supposed to be Doom Guy, yes. Okay. Yes. Explain uh, Doom to children who don't know what DOS is. Oh God. I don't know if I can explain. <laughs> what is the original Doom? What was it? Because I I <laughs> I, I played three or four Dooms. They didn't have characters. Yeah. They had Doom Guy, and you right. killed demons. That's this movie exactly has right. characters and no yes. demons. So explain to me uh, what the fuck's going on. They're zombies. <laughs> they're, they're Martian yeah, they're, zombies. Right. They're kind of, yeah. Instead of having demons, there's a lot of biblical illusions and hell talk <laughs> and morality. Ooh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And they look kind of demon-y, but yeah. But basically, I mean, yeah, Doom was a first-person shooter, and you're going... You're killing demons and then you go through hell and you kill more demons and then the demons get to earth and you have to kill them on earth. And yeah. So that's basically you're, my understanding of the plot from what I remember of it, because there isn't very much of one. Yeah. Is we're using Mars as a toxic waste dump. Yes. Oh, and, you mean for the movie. Yes. That was the game plot. Yeah, yes, after the, the movie game. plot. Yes. Oh, the, the, the yes. game. We're yes. still back to the game. Okay. And then you're some guy who has no yes. name. So right. the fans just call him Doom Guy. Yes. And then you're sent there for whatever reason. And you basically it's a shit shit job and you're yeah. there or you arrive there. And when you arrive there, everybody that was stationed there is either demon possessed or a zombie or it's just there's imps and straight up demons and monsters. <laughs> because what they were also doing at this installation was they were opening they, they found a portal or something. Yes. And they opened a gateway to hell and one of the moons of Mars disappeared and another mm -hmm. moon of mars has been over hell overrun by hell and yes. uh you have to just basically you're on a suicide mission just to get revenge and you're just trying to kill as much as you can and yeah then they get to earth and you have to go there's extra levels because this all came on floppy disk and it was originally shareware if i remember yes which is, yep, it was a free right. game yeah and they've just put it out like one level at a time and then um yeah, and then they eventually are like you get back to Earth, and then I don't even know if there was a finale really. Just you, whatever. Um, you, ki <laughs> you kill these demons, and it was a bloody, gory, sadistic game for the time. And yes. parents were in an uproar. It's like this in Mortal Kombat. Everybody was like, "Oh my god, we've ruined, 
We're ruining the minds of the children of America. Little, little did we know that those people who protested those video games would have their minds ruined by AM radio. Is that Paul W. Sanderson stole the plot for Doom for Event Horizon. <laughs> so the guy who made Doom <laughs> stole the plot of Resident Evil, the Paul W. S. Anderson <laughs> yeah. Resident Evil movies, and just called it Doom. Yeah. This is a Resident Evil, Paul W. S. Anderson Resident Evil knockoff movie. <laughs> See, I think it's an aliens knockoff movie. Well, that's what Resident <laughs> the Resident Evil movie. Yeah, are. no, but that's true. It is especially the first one. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. All right, so go go ahead because I, <laughs> I this movie would have been so much better if it was just about portals in hell and Mars and on Mars. <laughs> right. What the fuck yes. is this? Yeah, but I think I'm gonna surprise you. So oh no! Buckle up, get ready. So no, no, no. no. <laughs> Megan, no. No, Megan. Yeah, get ready for it. So you ever seen I- Jurassic Park? You know when Alan Grant goes, Tim, no, Tim, <laughs> no. And it's very, like, delivered in a very wooden way. That's how I yes. feel now. I just go, no, Megan, Megan, no, You know what's no, you know coming. <laughs> I'm going to disappoint you, and it's oh, going to be great. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about what's terrible first. Everything. The Rock. Yeah. He's terrible. Yeah. The cinematography, terrible. Yes. Except, except for the first person shooter scene, the five minute first person shooter scene. <sighs> I like it tremendously. I think it's great. I do. I stand by Isn't that. Isn't it just a gimmick though? I don't care. I don't care. It is a gimmick. I don't care though. I think it's, I think there's something clever to it. Are you and a doom think, person? You like doom a lot? You played the doom? No, no, don't? I don't like first person shooters. No, okay. I actually okay. don't like them at all. So, <laughs> so okay. that's what I'm saying. So for me to say yeah. this is clever, I think it's doing something different. It's paying a nice homage to the original while still doing something different cinematically. I liked it. I enjoyed it. And I think yeah. I do. I think it's very clever and I'm not a first person shooter fan. The Rock is terrible. The dialogue, atrocious. It is yes. abysmal. The characters are awful. It's terrible. Yes. Um, the movie looks terrible. <laughs> the fact that Clint Mansell, an actual good composer, composed this score, I'm like, what? Like, I was shocked because the score is not good at all. No. It's not good. Um, however... I actually kind of enjoy this because I love Carl Urban so much. I will follow him anywhere. I will see him in anything. I loved him ever since he was on Xena. Love him, love him, love him. We'll watch him in anything. And I saw this in the theater when it came out. And I was like, yeah, that wasn't so bad. (laughs) Because I love Carl Urban. So I watched this, you know, watched this again in preparation for here. And I was like, yeah, it's not that terrible. Like, it's a bad Aliens ripoff. It's it's really technically bad in many, many ways. But I still enjoyed it because I love Rosamund Pike, even though this is not a great performance from her. But there's still there's still the seeds of what will become a great actor from her later. And I still find Carl Urban very charismatic and very compelling to watch and i have to say i think there's something really potentially interesting going on with the commentary regarding militarization colonization and kind of blindly following orders and not questioning them and the issue with morality i find that interesting not that it really does much with it but i do find it interesting that it raises the issue at least so i actually enjoy this what you're (laughs) describing is if we take an extra synthetic chromosome 
that a Mar ancient Martian <laughs> civilization injected itself with, and we give it to people, and they're genetically predisposed to being authoritarian. <laughs> they turn into zombies. No, and if terrible. not, then nothing happens to them except for no. Carl Urban, who is resurrected <laughs> because he's just enough of a psychopath, just enough to be resurrected <laughs> from the dead and become invincible, but not enough to go full zombie. That's right. That's right. Okay. This no, movie terrible. This movie is good. This movie is Aliens Meets Ghosts of Mars. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not a good combination. It's bad. No. It's 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 the first Resident <laughs> Evil movie. We got to go into this secret thing that's been in quarantine. We got to go in this facility and it's underground, but it's on Mars, mm -hmm. blah blah blah. It, it the like the, the the original Doom storyline, as thin as it is, is inherently more interesting. We accidentally we're fucking around with shit we shouldn't. There are, there are no Martians on Mars. There, that's not what the plot is. Mars is a barren planet. We've just been using it as a dump because it's a barren planet, and we're also using it because it's out of the way for these experiments. Is this corrupt corporation is doing these like interdimensional experiments, trying to open a wormhole or whatever, and they successfully do it. And instead, they open a, a portal to hell, and hell comes through. And it's it's a one guy. It's a siege movie, basically, where it's one guy versus hell. And to me, that like a a, a a movie that's slick and mean and violent with a little bit of prime John Carpenter sensibility to it, you could have made a badass movie off of Doom. Mm -hmm. And instead, they're like, let's get rid of all the elements of Doom. <laughs> that make it Doom. <laughs> that make it Doom. Let's turn it into Ghost of Mars and Aliens and make it about ancient <laughs> alien civilizations and weird shit. And it has nothing to do with Doom. No. The, it, honestly, this movie feels like more like a Roger Corman movie. Oh, interesting. There's so many Roger Corman and Roger Corman produced films in particular because he's produced way more than he directed. Mm -hmm. That where it's just like cheap sets and a bunch of soldiers fighting a monster. <laughs> like every every other Roger Corman produced film, especially in the eighties and early nineties, was an, an aliens ripoff. Yeah, they're all aliens ripoff, and that's this is a straight to video Roger Corman presents, just with a bigger <laughs> budget and a couple people you heard of back before they really had because Carl Urban, The Rock, and Rosamund Pike, neither one of them had the careers they do now, right? No. Um, I love how this movie is in the future and you can teleport to Mars from San Francisco, wherever the fuck. But when you get to Mars, <laughs> all the scientists are still using CRT monitors. Yes. <laughs> which we were not using in 2005 in the real world. No. Why are they using them in space? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no. The one thing that's interesting about the movie is at times it seems to have a really bizarre sense of humor. I can't tell if it's intentional or unintentional, but I do think the movie at some level could be enjoyed purely as camp. There's a camp quality to this movie that I don't think is on purpose. Cause if it's on purpose, it wouldn't be camp. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe I, do have a, I enjoyed it. I, I do have a question for you. Yeah. Why does Sarge go evil before he gets bit or infected or whatever? Because the Sarge, yeah, at the beginning of the movie, is not an evil guy. 
I don't know. I think he is. I don't think that he is. I do. I do. But he goes psychotic, just seemingly out of nowhere at the end of the movie. He goes from being, I got it. We got to get my guys out of here and we got to get people out of here. We got to get out of here safely to insubordination. Yeah. Yeah. Just executing people. But that's before he zombified. Yeah. So why? Why does he just go crazy? I think he always was unhinged and evil. It just slowly, or maybe not so slowly, (laughs) it unfolds. But why? It goes on. What do you mean why? I think he's a a shitty guy. (laughs) I think he's presented as just a kind of a neutral soldier figure who then all of a sudden is the villain of the movie for no reason. And also, it's inherently less interesting in a Doom movie to make just another guy the villain. Okay. Have a fucking imp come out of a portal that throws fireballs <laughs> from hell. You know what I mean? There's so many interesting visuals and gore and stuff in a, yes. the Doom world. Yes. That it's just the rock with prosthetics on his face looking like a caveman. <laughs> and they, the whole movie ends up in a fucking fist fight. Well, yeah, that's ridiculous and stupid. It's lame. But I, it is. I actually don't agree, though. I think that whenever a human is the, quote, true villain, that's always more interesting. It's it's like the Walking Dead thing. It's like with zombies. Are zombies really the villain? No, oh, it's the humans. But that gets so boring after a while, man. Because, <laughs> oh, turns out the zombies aren't the Walking Dead. We've been the Walking we Dead are. all along. Well, I know that. And but maybe I, I like just, that. Oh, I like it when it's done... Wait, well, that's what I was going to say. I'm not saying We're, it was done or executed yeah. well. I'm saying mm. I like it conceptually, but I don't Turns out think it was we're the real well. monsters. Turns out we're the yes. real monsters. No, 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 no. Not in a Doom movie. In a Doom movie, <laughs> Megan, the real monsters are the are fucking the monsters. real monsters. <laughs> that they well, just <laughs> took out of this movie. Let Satan. Satan is the villain of Doom. Satan. Yeah, you don't Satan's. get a better bad guy than Satan. He's the original no. bad guy. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, though. Would you think this movie was was as terrible if it wasn't a Doom adaptation and they had just called it, like, Teleportation to Mars or something? And they just called it Mars. Ghost of Mars, too? Yeah, well, there we go. Yeah, they could have <laughs> called it that. <laughs> like, would you y- yes, think it's that terrible? Yes, okay, I well, would. then there we are. Because we are. The, the plot of Doom is threadbare, and I have no yeah. great nostalgia for doom i know they've added a bunch of lore and all this shit in the the reboots in modern era i'm talking about old school original doom that this game is mostly quote-unquote based off Mm -hmm. there's no plot to that really you're just like a guy i think i think the whole point is like you punched your sergeant in your face and you're on the punishment duty on mars (laughs) or something like that and that's it something like that yeah and everybody's dead so he's like well fuck it i'm just gonna like try to get to a teleporter to get myself back and if i can i'm just gonna kill all these monsters and it's it's He's like on a mission, a suicide mission, basically. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Great. I don't think that's a great thing for a movie. What I'm saying is, I think it's an inherently more interesting to have like a guy fighting the legions of hell by himself, like yes. Die Hard meets Hellraiser. Con- I was like, or Constantine or something. <laughs> yeah, it's way more interesting than yeah. Ghost of Mars too, with yes. a rock fumble fucking his way through a terrible <laughs> performance. You could have called this thing anyway, anything. As long as it's The Rock, as long as it's this script, it's a bad movie. Yeah. Oh, the script is atrocious. It's atrocious. It's yeah. So again, I like. I can see where people would enjoy it on a camp level. It doesn't sound to me that you're enjoying it because you find it campy. I think you just like it. 
You just like Doom? No, I like the performances of Carl Urban and Rosamund Pike's okay. And no, there is a campiness okay, to let, it, and let's, I do let's, enjoy that. Let's get rid of the, <laughs> by performance, do you mean the sexual magnetism of Carl Urban? <laughs> no, I mean the performance. <laughs> Are you just saying that you find Carl Urban sexy and you like watching it on I screen? I do. Because there's nothing wrong with that. No, I do find him sexy, although I think he's, again, sexy, much sexier now that he's older. Yeah. And because, yeah. He's hello. But he was no, my pick. I, he, he was my pick for the longest time for Batman. Oh, he would have been great. Yeah. That's I, mean. I love him because he was so under the radar for such a long, long yeah. time. He really paid his dues. And I still don't think like, yes, he's on the boys, and yes, he's, you know, he's doing great. But I still don't think he's at the caliber. He like he's not at the level he should be. I think I he should be yeah. huge, and he's not. And I think it's roles like this where it's a garbage movie. It's yeah. terrible, but he's making the most of it, and he's still trying to give a really great performance. And that I love. I love that about him. And so because of that, like again, if you took him out, no, I wouldn't enjoy this movie at all. I mean, there's so many problems with it, but because of Carl Urban. I really I do I enjoy this movie. I think his performance is good. It's What's enjoyable. better this or dread? Oh, dread. What's better this or almost human? Oh, have I seen almost human? It's a TV I show. I haven't seen it. I think it's called Almost Human, isn't it? Was it, it was a, on Fox where he was like a basically Blade Runner but his partner was a cyborg? Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, uh you said you'd follow him anywhere. Apparently, you didn't I know. follow him on No, I did. I Friday actually did watch that. Fox. I did actually watch that. I just forgot the name of the show because <laughs> it's such a generic name. It is. Um, Remember, they showed all the episodes out of order. Fox showed the, ep- the show out of Fox order. Fox is notorious for doing But it was that. serialized, so there was a continuation of a plot, yeah. and so the show didn't yeah. make any sense. No, it didn't make it. any sense. Yeah, but it was fine. I still I watched that because it was Corbin, yeah. because like I said, yeah. I will watch him in anything. But yeah, no, yeah. it's fine. Okay. I'd say this is equal with that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's no dread. All right. So uh, Doom, <laughs> you give what out of 10? And where does it ring for you? Can't be your number one. So we know that. It's not my number one. And one other problem that I didn't get to say yeah. about this is the Portman character. And it's terrible that there's some transphobic shit in this movie and that he's supposed to be the depraved one. Uh, it's uh, We didn't even get into that. But anyway. I don't have any recollection with. of what the fuck you're saying. Yeah. Portman, he... Portman is the guy who, in the beginning, the guy who's religious is like, I'm tired of your depraved shit, Portman. And he's talking about his leave and what he's going to do, and he makes a transphobic slur about who who he's going to be spending his time with. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so it's super gross. It's super... Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's so I'm like, yeah. So this film was never going to be my number one just for that reason alone. But no, it's not my number one. This film is my number three. Okay. And I gave it a 5.8. It's my number three as well. I give it a four out of 10. All right. To another movie that has developed a bit of a cult following in the years since it was released. We're talking about 2006's Silent Hill, which currently has a 30%. On Rotten Tomatoes. Honey, sometimes when you go to sleep, you talk about a place. I don't remember. Can you tell me the best way to get to Silent Hill? Why do you want to go there? On April 21st. Mother! mother looking for answers. Shit! You'll discover a truth. Hey! Where's my child? Only the demon knows where she is. Too terrifying to believe. What's happening? Who are 
Silent Hill was directed by Christoph Gans, was written by Roger it was written by Roger Avery, Christoph Gans and Nicholas I'm just fucking up these names. I don't know. <laughs> Book Reef. Well, all the st- skeptics and all the people have a little bit of Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, Hal. Sorry. Uh, it's based in Silent Hill by Konami. It's a triumphant return of Sean Bean last seen in GoldenEye. It's a triumphant return of Tanya Allen last seen in Shudder. It is the triumphant return of Kim Coates. Last seen in Exchange, I think. Was that who what the money was in that we just talked about? <laughs> yes, he was. Fuck my life. It is released. <laughs> uh, it was released uh, April 21st, 2006 in Canada. April 26, 2006 in France. I don't have a re- U.S. release date, but I remember it was released here. It was. On a budget of $50 million, it made $100 million. So it broke even, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, my one-sentence plot synopsis is... Amy Coney Barrett burns a child to death to prove how pro-life she is, only to find out Jane Roe was right. Now, how are you? How are you? How do you expect me to function doing <laughs> that? That's basically the plot, isn't it? I mean, yes. Yeah, we got to kill a child to prove how righteous we are. Which is just insane. Oh, man. Um, yeah. yeah, so this is like the whole thing. Even the video <laughs> game is loosely based on a real place in Tralia, PA, which that just sounds like a scary video game place. Yeah. Uh, and in real life, uh, there was uh, underground mines and stuff like that and gas pockets and whatnot. And one of them caught on fire and it just it just is, just burns. I think it's still burning to this day. The point where it like broke open the streets and there's just like open burning and basically the government had to go in and and relocate people i think there's a few people who chose not to leave but um it's just a a ghost town that's just been constantly the roads and everything under the ground has been on fire there's just an underground fire that's just constantly burned so it's very strange but sometimes that stuff does happen and so it's like the perfect setting i think for a, a, a horror movie or survival horror game that kind of a place um this movie is weird, Megan, because mm. at parts it's almost feels like a, a Korean drama. Okay. Because it feels like it's overdubbed from a foreign language. <laughs> it feels like the ideas in the script in the movie. It, it feels it feels like a Korean horror movie, and and maybe I'm just saying that because this guy did is not an American. And then he also did some kind of like, it's kind of, even though it's plot wise, not really faithful to Silent Hill. It's akin to the plot of Silent mm-hmm. Hill. It, it's it's yep. close, but it's not actually the plot. And so maybe it has like this sort of vaguely Asian kind of perspective that somehow was imported through foreign eyes into this movie but it feels foreign and it feels like it was dubbed into English and, and it just is a weird feeling movie that I don't know is completely successful. In fact, I'll say it isn't completely successful, but I think there are stretches of effectiveness in the film that are surrounded by overlong scenes of meandering. Mm-hmm. And the acting in the movie is at times very labored, mostly <laughs> by our female lead. Uh, and it's a pet peeve of mine. There are these, these 
I like to call them mother mystery box movies. Oh. There's something, and horror does this all the time, where there's a mother figure or female protagonist, usually a mom, though, in this sort of weird little niche I'm talking about. And it requires the mother to kind of be adult. Because the mom is just making asinine, asinine choice after asinine choice <laughs> and is so slow to catch on to what's really happening. And they can just cover it in, well, it's a mother's love. This is the links that a mother will go to for her child. And I'm not here to, like, knock that because there, there is a real, whatever you want to call it, motherly instinct or whatever you want to call it, where there really is that, that female strength that is often shines through in, in their women are much more sacrificial for their kids basically. And are much more, it's just a, a different drive. Typically, 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 typically. So I'm not saying, but I think it's a cliche that movies lean on to justify having their female characters do stupid shit. Basically. <laughs> well, what mother wouldn't do this for a child? I was like, I don't know. I can think of a lot of other things that a mother could do to save her child that wouldn't require going into hell or whatever. Uh, <laughs> And this movie's no different, and so that bothers me because this female character is really dumb at times and unlikable at times, and is and it's not, yeah, it's just it's just she's not written well and she's not necessarily performed well. However, the movie looks great, mm-hmm. and it has a very effective creepy factor to it. There is a real creepiness to it. I think obviously the pyramid head guy is great he's straight mm-hmm. out of the games the nurses are that oh. whole scene is very effectively done oh that scene is so tense yeah and shining like a light in the darkness no pun intended is the borg queen herself alice krieg oh. who is absolutely fantastic even though she's kind of doing the borg queen again a little bit yep who cares such she's a so good. great <laughs> performance in this movie that when yes. she shows up the movie actually just like lifts five levels yes it just goes oh okay now this is an interesting movie it goes from being like intermittently interesting and creepy to kind of boring to now we're cooking with gas mm-hmm. um i think she's fantastic I, I think this is a bizarre story based on a very bizarre game <laughs> uh that is definitely coming from a foreign culture just the mentality of like sp- splitting and all this sort of shit and demons and whatnot but at the end of the day uh i, I ended up i've seen this before it's been a long time and i ended up really on the whole liking this movie you obviously didn't care for it as much as i did based on your ranking so talk about no, silent not- hill gonna say not necessarily um <laughs> so tell me why doom I, is doom is better than silent hill and tell me why tomb raiders doom is not silent. better than silent hill <laughs> okay fair <laughs> enough so t- talk, talk to me about silent hill have you played the game uh, or games and uh, what do you think about this movie i have only played the beginning of the first game so i never got really far into it so mm. i so but i am familiar with the atmosphere and the aesthetic yeah which the film captures perfectly. Yeah. I think this, while I don't think this is necessarily the best film adaptation of a video game, I think this is the best adaptation visually and aesthetically. 
because mm. it yeah. really captures the feel and the look and it's eerie and it's creepy and spooky and kind of everything. Mm-hmm. And the score by the original composer, Akira Yamaoka is so good. It's haunting and beautiful and unnerving and mm. unsettling and it's doing all the right things. And so Christoph Gans is really interesting and the reading about the, behind the scenes and the making of this film is really, really fascinating because the fact that this took so long to get made because he had to really campaign to Konami to give him the rights to do this film because, and he had to convince them that he was the right person to make this film because he's such a huge gamer and such a huge fan of, of the silent Hill games. And the fact that he took not just a straight literal adaptation but kind of took elements from the second game the first game the third Mm -hmm. game to adapt that's just really fascinating to me so the first time I saw this which actually wasn't that long ago I saw it for the first time a couple years ago and I was kind of disappointed I was like I was like this movie's kind of all over the place the acting is wildly uneven even Rada Mitchell's performance itself is so uneven like sometimes she's amazing other times it's like what the hell is she doing and yeah so I I'm like this film is overly long it needs to be edited more tight so I was disappointed. I was like, why do people love this film so much? And I'm like, it can't just be the visuals, but maybe it is. Then I watched it again. And I have to say, I liked it so much more the second time watching it. I was really invested in the story. I was really into it. And I was like, I'm loving the splitting of the worlds and how like we're seeing the town through four different iterations. I really loved that. And I kind of was on board with Rada Mitchell's erratic acting because it kind of, it kind of emulates how erratic her character must feel. And so it didn't bother me as much that her acting was so uneven and I liked Lori Holden as the cop a lot more in this than I did the first time watching and yeah I just kind of sat back and really listened to the score listened to the sound design and really felt myself being much more immersed in this world than the first time I watched it and I don't know if it was because I knew it was coming down the pipeline so I could just kind of appreciate Mm. the sound and the visuals more Uh, but for whatever reason watching this a second time really had a huge impact in a much more positive way so no I think this is I, I don't think it's perfect I think it's got a lot of flaws but I think it really does such a great job capturing a mood and a feel for the game and that's what when I when I appreciate an adaptation, that's what I want. It doesn't have to be a literal adaptation. I want you to capture that feel and that mm. mood. And that and this does that so excellently. It's almost like Gan sat down with each of the actors and then gave them a different interpretation of the story. Oh, yeah. And they're all playing it kind of different. Yes. Because Lori Holden is almost playing it as if she's a ghost and doesn't know it. Does that make any sense? It does. It does. Because when yeah. she's like, oh, I hit my head back there. And I, she's like, you're bleeding. She's like, I don't really remember. I hit my head back there. It's mm-hmm. like, well, is she already dead and in limbo? Or did she actually just physically cross over in a limbo? Right. It, but she, the way she's playing it, she's almost playing it as if she is like this ghost that's like stuck in this loop because of the kid that she rescued and this and that. And she's not playing it the same way that uh, it's Rada Mitchell, right? She plays the yes. the, the mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's she's not playing it the same way. She's playing it no. as, as she is like a real person who's accidentally crossed over into this limbo state. Yes. Um. Uh, somehow the, through the power of a mother's love or whatever. <laughs> um. 
So they're deliver they, even in scenes with each other. They're they're delivering lines as if they're in two different dimensions. And yeah. then obviously we have Sean Bean's character, which is I guess in the closest approximation of the real world. But even his performance is sort of strange. Mm-hmm. And then the Kim Coates performance is weird. And so it's like it's like everybody that might be Kim Coates. It might be, yeah. But you know what I mean? It's almost as if everybody yeah. has been directed as because you know it it the the uh the game is a mystery but then it has very literal answers to it at least by the t- end of the first game i don't know about the mm-hmm. sequels i don't know if they retconned anything but there's like a reveal and here are the answers and here's what's really happening here is what's really going on this movie even though we end up getting answers it's still fairly ambiguous as to what is actually happening here yep right and and mm-hmm. and what plane of existence is, is all of this on? And is everybody on the same plane of existence? Like, what is this? Is this just like, you know, this demon uh, uh, pinned itself to this traumatized girl and then she split in two and there's a good part of her that went off into the world. And then there's like this bitter, vengeful part that's now associated with this demon. And then the town was engulfed in her rage or wasn't. They're in limbo together, but is the girl still alive? Because now she's an adult, but the people in the church are ghosts, but maybe they're not because she says, like, you're already in hell. You just don't know it. And like, and the movie is way more ambiguous about, like, who is what, what is where, and are there multiple things going on or what? And so it almost feels like that, that everybody's performing. It's like they're in their own little pocket universe. And when you watch it, it does feel uneven where it's like, okay, but it, I almost wonder if it's uneven by design. I almost wonder if it's, if it's, they're all experiencing the shifting realities differently. So they're being directed to perform it differently. That, that could be, and that would make a lot of sense. I know there was also, uh, I don't want to say conflict, but there were definitely differences of opinion between Gans and the screenwriter about where, like, should the adaptation be more literal? Should it be kind of just more? But what did Gans want? Gans wanted to be more ambiguous and more mood, yes. or did he wanted to be yes, more he literal? Did. Mm. No, he wanted to be more ambiguous and mood, and uh, the screenwriter wanted to be more literal. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like I, that could also be pulling at some of the end. That could be too. too. Yeah. It, it, what, it, what it really does feel like though, and I think you got at it in your review and I'm trying to get it. I'm stumbling my <laughs> way to it is that the movie really at times feels at, at odds with itself. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Like, are we, are we trying to be like a shocking horror again, like a Hellraiser sort of a mm-hmm. thing? Are we, are we really being more of like a drama? Is it just more of like a spooky drama? And the, the thing that really stuck out to me, and I've said this about a number of movies, but this one in particular, especially on this watch, if this were made today, it would be a limited series or it would be a mini series. Yeah, It'd be like a Mike Flanagan, you know, uh, what's the most recent, Midnight Mass sort mm-hmm. of a deal. Where we're only going to do one of these. We're going to tell this story from beginning to end, but we're going to do it in eight to ten episodes, and it is what it is. And that's what it would be. And I think it, if... Again, I think if you read the plot of the video game, because uh, I'm just going off of my memory of it, but I think it's a little bit more, you know, you're the dad in the game and you're going on vacation with your daughter and you're getting a car accident and the daughter's missing and you're actually trying to go to the town of Silent Hill. It's not, it's not, the setup's very different. You're trying to go to this town mm-hmm. on vacation for whatever reason. And then you're in this weird 
it's like snowing, but it's supposed to be like spring and like everything just gets weirder and weirder the more you're, and it's like, you're, it's kind of survival horror, but it's also like a mystery. You're going around trying to get clues and where's my daughter. And then you find a picture of her and, and it's like, well, she's already from the, she from this town. Like what drew us here to silent Hill, blah, 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 blah. And then it has like a very much more straightforward kind of end where this one is just, just all over the place (laughs) and i think that might work better i think you could do a straightforward film i guess is my point Mm -hmm. or you could do an ambiguous long story that's a little bit more drama oriented but i think that might be more suitable for long form storytelling because the the movie ends up feeling too long it ends up this is just meandering this is just there's just long stretches where nothing is happening. And then when stuff does happen, it's good oftentimes mm-hmm. or really good and really creepy, but it does, it is not able in its runtime to hold the suspense all the way through. Yeah. And that's its biggest failure. And on top of that, it's that it feels like it's at odds with itself of what sort of movie it wants to be, what sort of performances ought to be delivered. And so in the end, I think if you, if you're going to take the GANs approach, it probably needed to be a miniseries, which wasn't an option in 2006 or eight or whenever this came out. Right. And uh, if it's, if you're going to do a straightforward version of it, then it should probably be a movie. Mm-hmm. So I end up, I, I, I don't know what else to say about this one because it's, it's like, it's a, it's a pretty okay movie that has some deep imperfections in it. But as a video game movie, it might be the best video game movie ever made. I mean, like as a true blue video game adaptation, is this the yeah. best one that's ever been done so far? I love Werewolves Within, so I'm going to say not necessarily. They made a movie but, out of that? Or is yeah. it a show? No, it's a movie. It's great. Was it released in theaters? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, Josh Rubens directed it. What so year was this? This year? Uh, like last year? I've never even heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. IFC so, distributed it. It's great. Okay. But yeah. But I, I would say that this is, if, if that's not the number one, I would say either this is number one or number two. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I'm going to give this one a seven out of 10. Uh, I really Ooh. like it. It is my number one. So it's going on my short list. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see if Silent Hill gets preserved for all time. <laughs> I have my doubts. Where, what's your score? What's your rank? You have any final thoughts about Silent Hill? I do have some final thoughts. Yeah, something that we didn't get into, uh, but something that I love about this is I love all the practical effects. I love yeah. the production design, and I love that so many of the creepy creatures are portrayed by dancers because of their fluidity of movement. Ooh. And yeah, like that is taking it to another level, and I love that. And that yeah. just really, that just really reifies the like factor that this film yeah. has going on that I love about it. Um, yeah, so my score... Oh, also a sidebar. I'm very annoyed that they had to add men characters like Sean Bean and Kim Coates because this film originally was just going to be all women, which is amazing. And then the studio was like, no, 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 no. You got to add some men. <laughs> yeah, but if, if he, they, uh, they, they found a sidelining no, they way. Were, they're it like, works. They're it over works. there. <laughs> it works. And actually, I think it kind of works better. Yes. But but I just am annoyed that like really we couldn't have just had all women whatever. Sean you know? Sean Bean's in the wife role typically. This yeah, typically he is. he'd be the wife. He and is. You, you cut back to you every yep. once in a while and oh yep. where's my husband? That's his role right. in this. Yeah, yeah right. Because she's got the uh, the active role of agency yep. and he's like waiting at yep. home. Yeah, no, which is kind of great. So it kind of it's it's something that's annoying that ended up I think enhancing the film and being a great choice. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, no, I think this is really great. I kind of want to watch it again and maybe pick up on more things and enjoy it more. My score is a 6.8 and okay. it's my number, it's my number two film. Okay. Uh, do you believe that they were just in hell the whole time? Is that the point? I mean, it's supposed to be purgatory and hell. So, yeah. but yeah, I think so. Then how's the girl aging? Do you believe the girl died or that the demon kept her alive? So, or they is hell now in her mind? Uh, like, like, how does that work? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Because when that hospital bed know. comes ripping out of the bottom of the church, and then she goes full pinhead on Cenobite yeah. on all of these religious <sighs> zealots. Well, you know, the thing I did find to be really interesting is they're religious zealots, and they're they're presented with some some Christian iconography. Yeah, but not really. They're cultists. Yeah, because. There's no crucifix. There's no Jesus. The weird cross symbol they have is like very, it's culty looking. It's very pagan looking. So I thought that was interesting that they, they're pagan fundamentalists, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Which you very rarely see, right? Yeah. So that's inherently was like, and I know that's kind of in the video game too, but that's inherently more interesting to me is like, we don't, it would have been a lot easier, especially adapting it for American audiences to be like, mm-hmm. here's some Christian fundies. <laughs> you know, and this is what they're doing. They're doing like the Salem witch trial stuff again. Right. And it just made it inherently more interesting to be like, no, it's this really weird fucking cult from this weird town in Pennsylvania. And it's led by a woman and she's, their religion is around burning people like that. Like, and that's, that's their undoing. That's their undoing. Right. Yeah. That's was very interesting. I don't know how Alyssa or Alicia or whatever her name is, I don't know how she's like alive and aging. But I don't also, think she is. Yeah. You don't think I, she is? No, I don't. Th- well, I don't think she's aging really. No, I don't she's know. like a full woman though in the bed. I know. I know. But she was burned as a child. Yes, I don't think she's really aging. I don't know. Maybe I have to watch it a third time. But then the demon <laughs> looks like her, but isn't her, but took her. Yeah, form. I think that's what happened. Maybe. Yeah. But then the good per- version of her, her innocence is in child form and was sent off into out of the town but the town's in purgatory yeah but I, it's it's yeah i don't know I, here's the thing i don't know that it makes any sense but it's creepy no no but it's super creepy and yeah. i love it and, and it's a very good looking movie too very good it looking. Is, and it holds it up for being yes. 2006 to now it holds up yes. reasonably well yep yeah yep. yeah no i agree all right speaking of a movie that holds up real well and is visually gorgeous <laughs> oh my god we're showing 2008's max Payne. Which currently has a 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. The devil is building his army. Max Payne is looking to God. That's what makes him more dangerous. Would you a cop or something? Not tonight. We have to finish this. Max Payne was directed by John Moore with a screenplay by Bo Thorne based on Max Payne by Remedy Entertainment. It was released October 17th, 2008 in the United States. It is the triumphant return of Chris O'Donnell, last seen in Batman Forever. It is the triumphant return of Ludacris, Luda, <laughs> last seen in Too Fast, Too Furious. On a budget of $35 million, it did make $85.8 million, so it's, it's profitable. Uh, where's my synopsis here? 
grizzled detective fails to solve the fairly obvious murders of everyone around him. <laughs> Can I say two things? And I want you to talk because I have, I, I had Max Payne on the original Xbox or Max Payne 2 or whatever. I, I, and I eventually got back in the game and then stopped again. Um, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg delivering noir voiceover is a living nightmare. Oh my God. And here's something that it really occurred to me as I was watching it this time. And I think I'm just late to the party. There's an, uh, this is just so mean, Megan, bear with me. Do it, do it, do it. There is an underlying unintentional comedy to Mark, Mark Wahlberg's face. (laughs) And if you don't shoot him exactly right, there's an inherent silliness to him. And I, it, when you think about it, I think his two best movies, and the thing is, the more serious he tries to perform, the higher the comedy. And I think his two <laughs> yes. best movies are Boogie Nights, but he's mm-hmm. kind of the butt of the joke. Exactly. So it works. So it works. And yep. the other guys that he okay. did with Will Ferrell. But he's playing the straight man, mm-hmm. but he's still adult. And so you still laugh at him, even though all of his lines are like the straight lines. Yep. Because I think, I think that one's Adam McKay. I think what McKay and what, what uh, P.T. Anderson understood is if you just shoot this guy straight on, there's something inherently fucking ridiculous about him. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Because he's not odd looking. He's not, you know, he's a decent looking guy. He's, I, I don't, I don't know what it is about him, but there is a comic quality that I don't, I think sometimes he's even aware of and he leans into it. Mm-hmm. But even in The Departed, there is this weird, almost parody. Do you yes. know what I'm saying? There's yep. this weird, like, comedic quality, even in serious movies. Yes. That I don't, he's got this weird energy about him where he, when he's on screen, you want to laugh at him. And it, he doesn't even have to be saying anything. You just want to laugh at his expressions and reactions. And his work is so silly here oh that the God. harder he tries to be that hard-boiled oh. noir detective, the, the sillier the movie gets around him. Yes. And the director of this movie directed the Omen remake, which we've covered on our horrible horror remakes uh, episode <laughs> many years ago. He directed this, and then he went on to direct A Good Day to Die Hard. Woo-hoo-hoo. In a row. Those are three of his movies in a row, which may be the three worst films <laughs> anybody <laughs> has directed in a row, all based on IP. Yikes. That's all I have to say about Max Payne. <laughs> what do you have to say about the game and the movie? Help us out here. <laughs> okay. Well, this movie is trash. <laughs> like, wow. I, I despise Mark Wahlberg. Despise. As an actor and a human, he's a horrible person. And so seeing him try to be serious... <laughs> Seeing him try to be serious is, is just <laughs> ridiculous. Much. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. too much. It's too much to, to ask of an audience. And I mean, right out of the gate, we're doing the women in refrigerators trope. Like, really? And I know that's the game. I know that's yeah. the game. But still, I don't care. I don't like it. 
and he's doing these terrible, terrible, terrible voiceovers <laughs> that oh rival God. how bad the voiceovers are from Harrison Ford in the original cut of Blade Runner. Yes. Well, not the original cut, but the movie theater cut. Yeah. It, there's, it's just so bad. It's so bad. I will say the cinematography looks pretty good some of the times because Jonathan Sela Sela did the uh, camera work here and he has great cinematography in John Wick. And so... Yeah, sometimes this film looks good. I don't. I I think this felt like Discount Sin City, and it's not supposed <laughs> to be. It, it felt like this movie was intermittently in the real world, yeah. quote unquote, real yes, world, and intermittently agree. in Sin City. No, I agree with you. I like, agree. pick and a fucking it, aesthetic. Yeah, I agree. And when it's in Sin City, I was irritated because yes, because it doesn't look as good as Sin City. No. And, yeah, and it's like, what are you doing? Like, why do uh, we just jump into Cool World all of a sudden? Right? Like, why are we going the comic booky route? Like, I guess. Yeah. Again, I think it's trying to nod to the game, but still, it's like, no, don't do that. Just, yeah, stay yeah. with the, like, noir, like, yes. slatted blinds and the falling snow and the shadows. Yep. Yeah, stick with that. Some of the snow, I'll, I'll agree with you. Some of the snow stuff actually did yes. look really good. Yes, yes. I agree. And it's pretty cool. And yeah. There's some, like, there's a particular wide shot in a bar where when a door opens, someone comes in, and it just and then you can see the snow, and it just looks really good. And I was like, parts of this look really yeah. good. I'll where give you that, yeah. Where it doesn't look good is when we get to the drug hallucinations. <sighs> oh my god, it looks like garbage. It just looks it looks so trashy and so bad. I was like, what is happening? Which, which having played the game, there are no supernatural elements to the game. <laughs> there are some like drug there's like a sequence where you're drugged or whatever yes. and there's you're hallucinating. But they almost went real literal with it, where there's actual yeah. Valkyries that show up and right. shit. But they're not women. They're, like, demons and gargoyles. Right. And you're like, what? Why was this added? Right. Like it that. adds nothing to the story. It, no. it, it it actually detracts from it because you're like, what? Yep. It, 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 this it fucking sucks. The movie fucking sucks. <laughs> it does because suck. It's it, so it, bad. It, it's jumping from noir into, again, Sin City, which is obviously mm -hmm. very noir influenced. It but is, yeah. It's it becomes so digital. It looks like a comic book, but I don't think that was the point. And a it's bad jumping comic into, book. Ugh. Yeah, then it's jumping into practical sets, and then it's mm -hmm. jumping into the supernatural, and yeah. then it's, it's like, what a mess. What a <laughs> fucking mess. <laughs> and the worst part about it is it's a mess, and it's... Yep. ugly and it's it's everything you said it's stupid it's bad <laughs> while Wahlberg is miscast he's oh. the shits in this movie he's terrible but it's it's all of this is done in an uninteresting way yes agreed it's agreed, not agreed. so much of a train wreck that you can get any pleasure out of like watching it and laughing at it no it is just run-of-the-mill uninteresting bad movie it's so fucking boring. It goes on <laughs> and on and on. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so obvious. And it's not just because I've played the game, so I know the plot. Mm -hmm. Everything about it is so obvious. It's so obvious. Truly Mark Wahlberg's character, Max Payne, would have to be the, the worst fucking detective, detective who ever, ever. lived. <laughs> Bo Bridges person. killed your wife. Bitch. I knew it the minute he like gets on screen. I'm like, oh well, here we go. He killed yeah, your wife. Yeah, it's Bo Bridges. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and and nothing against Sir Bo, but again, he's the Clint Howard of the Bridges family. So if Bo Bridges yeah. shows up, you know the kind of movie you're getting. Yeah. This movie would have been better if they got Lloyd Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he was dead in 2008. Yeah. 
The yeah. Lloyd Bridges is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also, what a waste of Mila Kunis. Because I actually really like Mila Kunis, and she can be a really good actor. And Not in this. No. No, 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 no. Nobody is coming out unscathed. In you know what this feels like? <laughs> if this feels like, oh, boy. This was like a bad Crow sequel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, the second bad Crow. Yes. Wicked Prayer or whatever the second one was. I don't know. What yeah. It, it, this movie, even though it's so digital and so heavy right. on CGI, it feels like it's from the '90s. It does. It really does. Like it, it, it's barbed I, wire. It's yes. it's Cool World. Yes. It's a Crow sequel. Yep. It's that tier, and those movies yep. are not interesting. No, no. But it's so funny that you say that because when I was look, when I was like doing my notes and getting everything together, I was putting the films in chronologically because I know that's how it goes here, and I'm like. Max Payne can't be the most recent. It can't be. <laughs> it can't like be. I'm like, it has to be the first or the second film. And yeah. it's, no, it's the most recent. It's absurd. Yeah. It's 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 absurd. I want to go back to the Norse mythology thing for a minute yeah. because it's it's going in so hard into that, leaning so hard in. And it, you're right, it's just so not interesting. And I love Norse mythology, and I would have loved touches that actually added something to the story. And I'm like, okay, you have Acer for the pharmaceutical company. You have Valkyrie tattoos. You have demons with wings. Okay, you have Ragnarok in the club. Yeah. Blah. Like, who cares? It's all so boring. All that's from the game. You, did you play Max right. Payne? I haven't. I've watched it played, but I have not played yeah, it myself. Yeah. But yes. All, all that's straight out yes. of the video game. Yes. But that, it's it's right. It's like a it's thematic. It's a thematic element to the game because basically, you know, you're. He doesn't get the character Max doesn't give a shit whether or not he lives or dies. Right. So right. His Which whole like thing that. is like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm basically a ghost walking yeah. and I'm gonna get revenge and then I'll die by the end of this, basically. Right. It's kind of right. the whole point. And then yep. he does he doesn't. And because he's trying to get to Valhalla, or he's trying to get back to his wife, whatever. Yeah. If I I'm gonna kill the people who kill my wife, consp, you know, expose this conspiracy, and if I die in the process, I get to be with my wife. Exactly. Uh, that's not really what this movie is. It's not really how he carries himself. He's just like working a desk job, and it's yep. it's like, how fucking hard are you working on the murder of your wife? Right. If it's taken so long. Yeah. Right. And, and it, we we get one yeah. scene where he's a vigilante, like one, like fucking what? sucks, man. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, oh. honestly, now that you say that because of the cinematographer, we what this should have been is it should have been and didn't exist at the time. It, it, but if you're gonna adapt Max Payne, it should have been a noir John Wick. Yes, I know. Yes. No, I know John Wick has noir elements, but it's got other stuff too. Yes. It should have been a hard-boiled, yeah, John Wick. Agreed. Because that's 100%. what that game is. Yep. Yeah. And this ain't it. <laughs> this no. is what is this? What this I just is, don't understand. This, this was. This is so bad. Uh, of everything we watched, this was the <laughs> hardest to finish. Yeah, because it's long. See that? Because it is long. Yeah, it is long. House of the Dead was was the worst, but it's short. It's short. It's repetitive, but it's short. (laughs) This is a full two hours, maybe two hours and twelve minutes. I don't know, but Uh, this is long. Or maybe it just feels like two hours. It might just feel long. (laughs) But God damn, It, it, it! I put it like this: in any other week. Where Uwe Bull was not on the episode. Yeah. This would be the Stone Cold worst of the week. It just oh, so yeah. happens oh, that yeah. Dr. Bull is the worst living filmmaker. 
it skates by because of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I will say, though, there is one scene that I actually didn't hate. <laughs> the shootout in the pharmaceutical company, I didn't hate. I'm like, okay, it's not the worst thing I've seen. It's not the worst thing. No. But the, when the best parts of your movie are, it's not the worst thing I've ever I know, seen. I know, I know, I <laughs> know. That's what, that's what I mean by it. it's. It, right. That's what I mean. By it. It's so run of the mill. The best right. parts of the movie, your reaction to it is like that wasn't bad. Right. Those are those. That's terrible. the highlights. Yeah, that wasn't terrible. But that's the highlight. Yeah, yeah. So not good. So Ooh. I'm gonna give this motherfucking movie a three out of ten. I hate. It. I just. I did not like it at all. I've seen it before. I've seen all of these before. And I, I just, I did not like this one at all. And it is my number four only because Uwe Boll directed the movie this week. <laughs> yeah, this is so dull, so emotionless, so boring. Yeah. So why are there so many flashbacks to what happened when we're literally told what happened in exactly. the first like, 10 minutes? Exactly. Uh, it, it's yeah. not that mysterious. No. We don't need all of this exposition. <laughs> it's a pretty straightforward story. Yeah, your wife was murdered and your baby was murdered. The end. <laughs> like, By the pharmaceutical company she worked for. Apparently. Yeah. yeah. Uh this is yeah, this was this was a painful film watching experience. Yes, it's bad. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh this is my fourth film and I give it a 2.2. Oh, my God. Even lower than me. Yep. Wow. And the only reason I didn't give it somewhere in the ones is because of the cinematography. Because it's some of the cinematography is, is pretty good. That's yeah, the that's only the, reason. That's that weighs heavy into mine uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, when the yeah, when the visuals aren't utter trash. Right. They're right. interesting. Exactly. But nothing else about this movie is. No. So. No. Oh, no God. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, it's time for our recap. Coming in dead last for me is House of the Dead. Both Megan and I are nominating this for the Anti-Vault, so patrons, hit me up when this episode drops and remind me, and I'll put it up on Patreon or for you guys to vote on whether or not it goes in. House of the Dead, 0 out of 10. Number four, Max Payne. Whew. There's a pun in there about we experienced the max amount of pain, but I'm not going for it. Yeah, we I'm, did. It's lazy. <laughs> 3 out of 10. <laughs> Doom, Megan loves this movie. It's the highlight of her life. I say it's a four out of ten at my number three. Uh, Number two is Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. If you like Tomorrow Never Dies, you'll love Laura Croft's Tomb Raider. 4.5 out of 10. Uh, And maybe some of my erotic shame is mixed up in there as well. Uh, And coming number one, Silent Hill, which is as close to a good movie, a genuine, actual good film as what we got this week, and uh, it is overly long. It is too long, but I do think it has some creepy visuals, effective aesthetic, and overall comes together. It actually kind of gets stronger the further along it goes. And once Alice yes. Creek shows up, now ah. you're cooking with some gas. She's great. She's Just so spooky and evil as hell, and you want her to die immediately. Yeah. So, <laughs> Megan, what's your recap? My recap is House of the Dead, number five, zero out of ten. Oh, God, that was awful. <laughs> Woohoo! Max Payne, number four, gave it a 2.2. Doom, number three, I gave it a 5.8. Yes, I do enjoy Carl Urban, even though the film is a mess. <laughs> number two, Silent Hill, 6.8. So good visually. And Alice Creek really needs to be in everything. Um, yeah. And my number one, Lara Croft Tomb Raider, seven out of ten. Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. 
Woo. Uh, okay. Well, what is your recommendation of the week and why is it Laura Croft Tomb Raider? It's actually not. I would actually recommend Silent Hill because it gets better the more you watch it. So even though Lara Croft is my number one and it yeah. stays that way, yeah, yeah, I would say Silent Hill. I'm really going to blow your mind because my recommendation of the week is Doom. What? Yeah, I think it's a terrible film, but I think <laughs> of all of them, it's the one you could probably have the most fun with. Ooh, I would okay. say if you want to prank your friends, watch House of the Dead. But they have to know <laughs> nothing about it. Because the more you know, again, the more you know about Uwe Boll and who he is and everything, it, it takes the joy out of it. Because it's just a guy half-assed his way through a movie. Yeah. Um, but if you, your friends are completely oblivious, then it's House of the Dead. You know, have some edible gummies and laugh at the movie, uh, <laughs> if that's your deal. But for the majority of people who like campy movies, I would say Doom. Uh, because it is absolutely campy. At one point, I don't, I'll just spoil it, but at one point when he fights a guy in a wheelchair who for some reason oh has been turned God. into the only demon in the movie with a chainsaw. <laughs> that's, that's some silly ass shit. That's some silly yeah. ass shit. And it's all from the first person perspective. That's some silly ass shit. So if you want something <laughs> to laugh at, Doom is the way to go. On our next episode, we'll be ranking the films of 2012 which includes Skyfall, Zero Dark Thirty, Looper, Magic Mike, and Holy Motors. Since we started this, I have gone and Amazon primed a futon for you. So right. no, you'll no longer have to sleep on the floor when you visit the shop in Akron, Ohio. <laughs> uh, it is a used futon, though. It's, they call it a refurbished model. <laughs> it has something. I don't know if you have you ever heard of Casper mattress. Yes. This isn't Casper. This is CRISPR mattress. Uh-oh. And the reason why it's CRISPR is because Casper has a policy that if after 120 days, if you're not satisfied, you can turn the mattress in and they'll give you a refund. Well, those mattresses have to go somewhere, Megan. And where they go <laughs> is they go on the futons that are sold in Amazon Prime. And so it is a used mattress and it is a little crispy, but <laughs> it's perfectly fine. Somebody, somebody listened to a podcast, they used a promo code and they sweated <laughs> and farted into a mattress for 120 days and then returned it and now uh, it's here for you. So you're going to have a CRISPR mattress that you'll, you'll have to share. It'll be you and, uh, I don't know, probably David Rosen or something when he's in town and sleeps on it. But uh, how do you feel about that? you feel like a queen? Do you feel like a goddess? Oh, I feel like, yes, I feel quite like a goddess sleeping on a used <laughs> <futon> mattress. <laughs> the sheets are also used. What? Because... Fitted sheets are hard to find for a futon. I don't know if you know Actually, that. Actually, they are. Yeah. And also here at Binge Movies, to save money, very low thread count. Oh, great. It gets better yeah. and better. Yeah. Most I advocate two-ply toilet paper. These are one-ply bed sheets. Oh. <laughs> yeah. If you shift a little too quick in the night, if you toss and turn, or you sleep still. You're a no, toss and turn. turn. Yeah. yeah, you're going to tear right through these sheets, and you're going to be right on the mattress. So. Oh, great. 
bed bugs yeah. galore. <laughs> yeah, bundle up, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> With crisper mattresses, though, they just are so cheap. Yeah, can't be beat. They're, thir- they're 30% <laughs> off the price of a Casper. That's a great deal. That's Yeah, I couldn't pass it up. Well, anyways, you're so loved here. Uh, we're going to give you a dirty mattress to sleep on. Um, <laughs> That's real love. <laughs> <laughs> That's real love. Yeah. Because you're family. Because your thing. If you were just a guest at this point, I would try. I'd, I'd go over and above. But you're not. You've been here so much. You're family. And it, it's going to be like coming home for Thanksgiving and your mom's like, we turn your room into an elliptical place. Here's a dirty mattress to sleep on. That is... We don't have to impress you anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, where can people find you when you're not sleeping on a when you're not, not sleeping dirty on mattress? A, when you're not sleeping on a crisper mattress in Akron, Ohio, where can people find you, Megan? People can find me on my regular. Oh, I can't even. People can find me at Spoiler Piece Theater, my weekly podcast that I co-host. Comes out every Friday. Check us out there at spoilerpiece.com. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is OpinionSWorld. And I write film reviews at Edge Media Network. Where can people find you on the PSN uh, network? Which they can add you to play games with you. Maybe don't oh. <laughs> Or if unless you want to. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Binge Movies. We're on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Binge Movies. Buy our merch. BingeMovies.Threadless.com. Uh, follow us on Letterbox, letterbox.com slash binge movies. And until next time, binge on.